She pulls a big knife out, one of those big daggers, and she starts going like this inside him. And she's going, Marv, you've got farm animals on your shoulders. And she's going like this with this knife. And I'm just froze. Because I thought, she, if it turns and she turns that knife, she's going to slit my throat. Carpenter. Yeah, I was like, Whoa. calm down, everything's all right. I was probably getting pills off you in the front of the door. <laughs> you probably was, yeah. yeah. Definitely. You know, we must have been fit as a fiddle because we was dancing non-stop for like three or four hours. I wouldn't even take hours. a pee break. I was so excited. such fingers are weak. Yeah. It's just like rain, yeah, yeah. Just it? sweat it out. Sweat it out of you, yeah. So yeah. it gets Sounds like... Sounds delightful. <laughs> She said, Marv, I've got something to tell you. And I went, what? She went, I've been digging. And she pulled up a thigh. She had this big wrap round the thigh and she pulled it back and she had this big flesh-eating bug. Been eating her. So she was like, oh, it was the most disgusting smell I could imagine. It broke my heart, honestly. It literally broke my heart watching yeah. this girl. You're going to get chased like a rabbit near the foxes. I had a fox. Right, this is how he. This was the analogy he gave me. So he blasts it like that, and he, as he's going lower, he blasts it again, and the second shot hits me. Right, so I see this big hole in my leg, this big hole in my trousers, hmm. and like, see blood. I'm like, shit. But I didn't, I didn't feel this like crack of my leg go. So I've got father and son smacking me, and I've got a dog chewing my legs, so and it's ripping into my legs. It's like, ah, sorry, ah, screaming. <laughs> but I can't feel the pain, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a weird one, yeah? <laughs> so I went over, and it was a... And, yeah, he did what he did to me for a bit. And I was using gas as an escape. And I was playing up in school, couldn't concentrate, because I was keeping this secret. But what he said to me was, you don't tell tales and stuff. So I didn't want to say anything and be accused of lying. So I kept it secret, yeah. Bridgie. Yeah. We have been waiting months, half a year, I think, indeed. We have got... Lee, Marvin, Hitchman, Marvin and Kira here today. Some of you may have seen little snippets of their stories on the Samworth channel. Loads of people saw what happened at the 3D Fight Club with Daniel Lazar and uh, it was all over the internet that Marvin, you know, what he did and um, being a gentleman and, and, and stepping up there in that situation. And his story, I mean... Talk about stories. We've had so many podcast guests on who've been through extreme things, but both Marvin and Kira are like 10 podcast guests each rolled into one, (laughs) the amount of things that they have been through. So this may be a series. We're talking to Marvin about his book as well, structuring his book and getting his book out. So hopefully that's something that will be coming out as well. And all of their links, if you want to support them and follow them, all their links will be in the description box below the video, whether it's Instagram, 
We'll check out the yoga pictures, the, the meditation stuff. And uh, yeah, so all the links will be down there. And they're, they're also thinking about doing a YouTube channel as well at some point. Maybe. So. Yeah. Maybe Definitely. so in the future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's asking us that. Yeah. <laughs> so a huge yeah. thank you for coming on. Yeah, anyway. thank You're very you welcome. Guys, man. Yeah. Charlie Boy. My man. This one. My So that's Arizona for the handshake. What's that? And then Bumpfish. Yeah, there we go. Okay. You know what I mean? That's a bit big. It's like a knuckle dust, isn't it? Like a bloody knuckle dust, that. Yeah, my skull and bones. Yeah. I mean, how long have you had these rings for? Um, a while now. Wow. This one's quite new. This one's um, just like a skull and bone. It just like make me memory of my people who are gone. That's what I think of when I look we at them. We got them, them yeah. special, right, don't you? And you know gold as well. Gold itself is like a, um, it's used in religion, like every religion use gold, they worship gold, don't they? A gold yeah. artifact or gold, whether it's anything related to gold. So, uh, And it's a reflection of the sunshine as well. It reflects the sun the be- better than anything else. So. What about silver? Silver's a nice one. Isn't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> I'm not a Right, fan. so let's, let's explain to the viewers then where you use accents are from. Manchester. Manchester in the area. <laughs> what, what part of Manchester did you grow well, up in? Well, I grew up in Ancoats, which is uh, right near the city centre. It's like only a couple, half a mile away now, but it's actually being built. It is the city centre is that close now, but yeah. Ancoats, uh, working class area, you know, real strong, honest people, you know what I mean? Genuine people, good people as well, yeah. Real good stock. Never had any problems in Ancoats as a, you know, growing up. Uh, I was a, I was a lost little boy growing up, to be fair, because I was, I knew I was an orphan and I knew I had nobody around who looked like me. So I always was aware that I was alone, you know, when I was around Ancoats. So, but no one really knew my story. I kept it quite to myself, do you know what I mean? Like, um, being adopted and stuff, not ve- not very many people knew I was adopted, do you know what I mean? Because my dad was, my dad's a Jamaican man and my mum was white, so it, you know, you could have passed as mine. And then, but if you got to know the family, they adopted a, a girl who was five years older than me, but she was fully black. So you could tell them that the family was like adopted family by, if you met my sister, do you know what I mean? She's unfortunately dead now. She died of an overdose last year. Yeah, that was quite sad. Yeah, she, uh, we never expected her to go like that, did we? She used to tell me I'd be dead when I was 30 all the time. She said, you'd be dead by the time you're 30, all the drugs you're taking. And uh, she ended up dying herself off a drug overdose. Prescription drug. Prescription drug overdose, yeah. Mm. So I haven't got a sister now in that respect, but still, yeah. What's your first memories from growing up? My first memories growing up is my mum, my adoptive mum, saying to me that she never burnt me with a cigarette. Um, She used to smoke heavy, so I've got this burn in the centre of my back. Um, And she told me, I never burnt you, son, it wasn't me. Um, she never went any further on that. She just said, I never burnt you and it wasn't me. Do you know what I mean? So then as I was growing up, I realised I had this burn on my back. So uh, it come from the orphanage, I'd been told. Do you remember what the orphanage told you, though? What you told me? What the orphanage tried to tell you, you to sign you off. Oh, yeah, they, s- they said it was like a wee burn to sign it off because uh, they didn't want to cause a scene. My mum... My mum said she saw me in the orphanage and the orphanage was really rough. So she said they used to lock you in a room at four o'clock in the, in the afternoon 
and leave the babies in the rooms, uh, leave the baby in the room till the next day. So obviously it was a, an orphanage what had prison babies going through it and it was a mother and baby unit at style. So obviously they had a lot of babies going through there. So there was a big turnover. My my mum said that she's seen my big sort flying saucer-shaped eyes uh, <laughs> and like that she was sold on me then. She wanted me, you know what I mean? So I was in there for quite a long time. Um, I think I was in there till... March 75, I was born in 74, July. And I think I was in there for like nine, that's probably nine months or something like that. Uh, yeah, did nine months in the orphanage and then got signed to them then. But I, my mum also said that my real mum didn't want to give me away. Um, that stuck with me a lot, knowing that my mum never wanted to give me away. Um, she said that my mum wanted to keep me as a baby, but the circumstances, what was going on around her life. Um, she couldn't keep me at all, but she wanted to. Yeah, do you want to go into that? Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that, sure, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I'm ready to talk about that. Yeah, it doesn't bother me now. Okay. I mean, when you when you let things out, it doesn't hold power over you as much as you're keeping things in, does it? No. So I like to let things out, you know what I mean, so that I know it doesn't hold any power over me then. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, um... My mum didn't get what I give me away. I know. I know now um, that she was uh, she was an addict, and my dad was an addict, and he was both in prison when I was born. Um, it was a bit bit sad, really, because my dad told me when I met him, when I finally met my dad, he told me he treated women in general really bad. So I'm watching him telling me stories about how bad he treated women. This is not 100% my dad as well because he never turned up for a DNA test when we spoke to him for work. But he said he was my dad and he said uh, that he used to treat women really bad and he forced them to take drugs and he put girls to prostitution even and he was getting money off them. Straight told us, told me and Kara, didn't he? Yeah. Sat there and told us, Blatantly, yeah, I used to treat women really bad. I'd force them to take drugs. I'd put them on the, the game. Um, That's why your mum didn't want to name him on your birthday. So my mum's probation work, probation officer, she'd done a series of meetings with the probation. And the probation asked who he was and she named a different man. She named somebody else. Um, so when I did finally get searching for him and I found him, he was everything I didn't want, you know. He was everything like I tried not to be growing up because mm. I was around prostitutes and I was addicted to drugs. So he was telling me, like, it was as though in 20 years' time, if I would have stayed an addict, that's the sort of person I would have turned into. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I didn't want to be that any, anywhere like that person. I'm not like that, like him at all. Do you know what I mean? So uh, I stayed away from him, didn't we? Yeah stayed away from him. You spoke yesterday about you have a vague memory of being with your mother. Yeah, I... It's funny, eh? It's a crazy one, but it's true. I can feel somewhere the last time I held... My mother held me. I can feel that last time she let me go. Yeah. Um, it's somewhere there. Um, that's quite hard to talk about, but I will talk about it. 
Um, I can feel somewhere the last time she let me go and I can remember her distress. Yeah. Yeah. So that hurts a lot still. With, with my mum, um, her mum was um, told that she would burn in hell if she had a baby out of wedlock. She got jilted at the altar. Yeah. And, and um, she did not want to give my mum up. She didn't. And my mum got these letters because her mum told her, I mean, she had ended up in a good family and her mum told her yeah. later on. But then she got the letters and found all this out that she didn't want to give her up. Well, yeah, I've got the letters. Uh, I've actually got the letters. What my mum and the probation of these series of conversations and my mum saying to the probation officer, can I go and meet him? And the, the probation officer says, I'd have advised Martha at this time. It's not the right time, in the right place. She wanted an open adoption, didn't she? Mm. Yeah, she was asking. She was asking, could she send me birthday cards and Christmas gifts, and could she see me? And that was in the March of '75. So, I know she struggled with that one. Um, but yeah, I still feel that now. I'm sure you can take from it that she obviously did want contact with you. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. What was it like in your adoptive home then? <sighs> well, it wasn't wasn't very good because my dad was very strict. My mum was lovely. She was a Welsh woman, real nice woman, you know, heart of gold, yeah. But he was a bit, um, he was a bit of a madman, really. What what used to get me with him is he, he didn't drink alcohol. So I always had alcohol in my mind equaled with violence for some reason. So I used to think, if he drunk alcohol, I'd understand why he used to beat me for, like, reasons but he never drunk he was straight straight headed when he did it so um it was hard growing up with him like i used to wee the bed i'd wake up covered in wee and i'd think oh my god so i'd hide my underwear blah 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 and he'd come marching up the stairs and say i can smell wee in here what have you done and he'd start and um he'd, he'd done it he went a bit far like he he rub my face in the wee, like, and stuff. Um, he done that. I can remember when he done that specifically. But it didn't help. It didn't stop me weeing the bed because I didn't stop weeing the bed till I was 11. It's going to traumatise you more, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. So, uh, But I forgive him to this day because it, I believe he didn't know any better. And he, when I speak to him, he said to me, I didn't know any better. I did, just didn't know how to deal with it. So the only way I thought the best way is to, like, beat it out of your type thing, you know what I mean? But obviously it didn't work. Um, so I didn't like him as a person, and I knew he wasn't my real dad. So I used to go in the fields and pick these little flowers and pick the petals off and think of my family. Mm. Mm. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it was hard. Hmm. What was it like with the siblings that had been adopted? Um, my sister was treated well, um, but my mum's friend, so I had cousins in inverted commas, like there was a family who was mixed-race kids. She was a single-parent mum, a Scottish woman called Janet, lovely woman. She was my auntie, inverted commas, and she had like four children. And my dad um, had a bit of trouble 
he was trying to um, discipline her kids for her, but obviously it didn't work, you know. So he was known for being a bit, you know, putting hands on. Do you know what I mean? He was known as being an hands-on person type thing. So he was very he was very scary because he was dead tall and he was a big big block of a man. Do you know what I mean? Um, he was a scary man. I was scared of him growing up. So I used to run away a lot, you know, pack up some stuff and just run off, get caught and get brought back off the police and whatnot, do you know what I mean? Um, so that was quite hard. I, I just wanted to meet my mum, to be honest. I didn't really. There was nothing else I wanted, but I knew that I was never going to see him again because I was adopted, yeah. And I believe at the time, adoptions went like, you did never what you could never see your kids again when you give them away back then. But now it's changed. You get to see your kids and stuff, don't you? If you're adopted, yeah. Did you ever question your adopted parents and ask if you could see her? Well, I tried not to hurt them by asking about it because I can remember once asking about my mum to him, and everyone was got like dead uptight and stuff. So I couldn't really. I didn't really want to ask again after that. Do you know what I mean? I just rebelled and just, like, started um, stealing from the local shop, nicking bars of sweets and stuff, like, to comfort eat. Yeah, that's what it was. I know, back, I know now it was comfort eating. But back then I just was stealing just to eat sweets. Mm. <laughs> and was that was that your first brush with the law then, was, was the stealing? Yeah, yeah, I started getting into stealing things and the police was coming to the house but he was very against the police he was a very very against the police man but he was a very law-abiding citizen so now i know why he was scared of the police because of what he was doing and what he you know what i mean he was scared of like getting found out i know now because he was a very law-abiding citizen, he'd never had any criminal record whatsoever, like one of his family members in America was a police officer, you know what I mean? So even though he was my dad, his family wasn't really my family because he never had nothing to do with me, do you know what I mean? Um, I used to get up to Moss Side and Old Trafford to family houses and just be sitting there like and at his mum's, at his dad's and his stepmum's house. Um, and just get fed and stuff like that. But no one had ever talked to me or anything like that, do you know what I mean? But they was a bit older than me, so they, was, they had no reason to, like, engage with me or what, or nothing like that. So I never had, like, aunties and uncles. I could never... I had them on paper, but I never never had them, do you know what I mean? They never treated me or seen me or spoke to me or anything like that in any length of time or give me any any moment of the time really to be truthful so i was always aware that the family what i was adopted into they was their own family and i was my own person sort of thing do you know what i mean who were your mates back then um i had a mate i had, I had a mate who's got carer's namesake who i grew up with uh, he's passed away now but he was one of my best mates growing up um, so he was a he was a good little lad who we used to roll around with but we was getting into cars and stealing early do you know what I mean there's a lot of mills and factories on our estate so not me 
specifically all the time, but the older lads would be getting in the factories and stealing stuff. And there was a scratching stiff sticker factory in Aeros where we used to stick, steal all the scratching stiff stickers. Remember those scratching yes. stiff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there was one of them factories, literally a factory on our estates. So we used to break into the scratching stiff factory and just smell all these smells. <laughs> but yeah, um, that was, I mean, I'd be rolling, stealing, uh, rolling, stolen cars you know with the boys and I can remember one time I was pushing a stolen car the police have come because I was the biggest they chased me and they chased me right back to my dad's house and I ran in and like the police are behind me and like he was so like get out my house Uh, don't come near here again that's how he that's how we dealt with that um but yeah uh, I started stealing and stuff and I'd go into town and watch the prostitutes and stuff because a lot of prostitutes, there's a red light area right near us. So I'd be rolling on the streets with them and a younger little gang of us would mess about on the streets of, near the prostitute red light area. And um, then I'd be going into the big superstores um, like Lewis's and Debenham's, going in them and stealing out of them. And I can remember stealing... It, like this big car toy and got arrested off the street theft. Uh, the police coming and the street theft knew me then. So me and my mate used to go in um, and I can remember me and Nemo sat on there, a swinging chair listening to Ebony and Ivory by Paul McCartney. Christ. Yeah, God knows how long that was. That was the first time I really thought about colour in a person because I was listening to Ebony and Ivory on a garden swing in a super in the top of Lewis's. <laughs> it's a very vague memory. Mm-hmm. Singing, singing to it, thinking every and Roughly how old were you at this point? God, when every and ivory come out, that Paul McCartney song must have been ten. Like eighty four, wasn't it? Something like that, that song. Oh, probably. Early eighties, was it? Definitely early eighties that song came out, wow. yeah. So I remember I've got this stolen car up my jacket, <laughs> swinging on a garden swing, listening to Ebony and Ivory. And then I really thought about colour for the first time then. Yeah, knew that there was different colours and whatnot. Was but, the divide uh, very apparent back then? No, there was no divide really. No. I didn't really have any any problems with my skin colour. No one ever told me about my skin colour or anything like that. You know, um, I'd be going in, in like in it, empty houses a lot, like I said, little empty houses. And what happened was, is... I pushed the door open on an empty house and there was a lad asleep on the floor. He's dead now. He was called Brian. And um, I ran off and I, I went back the next day and it was all glue bags and stuff in the, in the room. So we'd been glue sniffing, I know now. So but I've got the bags and I'm trying to blow into him to try and make him because he was rock hard. They harden, the, the glue hardens in the bag. But there was a tin of Evo stick, a red tin. So I went over and flicked it open and I put the bag inside and scraped it round and I started blowing on it. And it took me to this place where where, where I think humanity existed. It's weird. Because it was happy. It was it was a I was hallucinating heavily, wasn't I? But it was to me, it felt like the place where I deserved to be. Yeah. Uh, I always, I always felt like this, this, 
humanity had never done any, any favours for me from very young. So I was against, I was mad at the world. Yeah. Surprised? Yeah. And that took you away from the trauma for the first time, perhaps? It did, it did, yeah. So I quickly started messing with the glue, going in the empty houses and finding the glue because I just kind of followed the glue sniffers about to get the glue. And then I was a bit older uh, and then I got into gas, butane, sniffing butane gas. Aerosols. Yeah, so a lighter gas. Yeah, so mm. I'd stick a lighter gas in my mouth and just push it next to your teeth and all the gas releases into your mouth. Uh, and then you you just, you're, you're in your own world for a few minutes and it's just really nice. The place was really nice. Yeah, it's wrong, obviously, you know what, if there's any kids listening, it's not the place to be. You know, because you're taking drugs and that's wrong, you know, and it can kill you straight away. The gas can give you bubbles in your brain, mm. air bubbles in your brain. But everyone used to say that to me. You can get air bubbles in your brain, but I think I'm not bothered, you know. That's mm. where I, I want one type thing. Yeah, I'd say I want one. <laughs> so with all this going on, what was it like at school? I just used to play up at school. In primary school, I'd have a lot of accidents, we in the bed and stuff, so I'd have to take my underpants home in a bag. Uh, and that was terrifying for me, that, because I'd have to go and face the music with my, my underwear in a bag. But secondary school uh, was bad because we moved. We moved onto another estate. Um, and, God, this lad who lived in one of the houses, in one of the flats, called Andy, big tall lad with curly hair. He was a few years older than me. He said to me, um, I had this games console and he said to me, I've got games for it. So I went to his bedroom and he, he didn't say anything to He said to me, I haven't got the games. My mate's got them in the other block of flats. So I went over and it was a paedophile and uh, he did what he did to me for a bit. And then I've went home just in another, like, thinking, wow, what's just happened to me? Um, went to school the next day, like in, like in this zone. Come home and he's in my mum and dad's house because he lived overlooking my mum and dad's house. Like, and um, he came and he said to me, mum and dad, um, that I was helping his mum. I'd just been, he said I'd just been to the shop for his mum. So he said, oh, thanks for going shop for me mum while I was at work because I'm so busy. Um, do you mind doing it regular going shop for me mum? And my mum said to him, oh, you'll have to help his mum his whole day. You know, but she's not realised what's happened, happened to me. So that was happening for, wow, that went on for... A long time. Yeah, I don't really want to say how long it went on for, but it went on for longer than I wanted it to. Um, and I was using gas as an escape. And I was playing up in school, couldn't concentrate. Disruptive, throwing things, fighting with the teachers, running off, wagging it at school. Because um, I was keeping this secret. But what he said to me was, you don't tell tales and stuff. And when I was growing up, 
as I say, because uh, I used to hide my underwear a lot and have to lie. Yeah, I was being called a liar. So I didn't want to say anything and be accused of lying. So I kept it secret. Yeah. Fucking green, G. Yeah. Mm. So that was really difficult. Um, I had it tough growing up. So I was stealing and stuff. Um, I carried on stealing, running away. I run away about seven, eight times. Um, when I got, as I say, when we got to 11 and moved, it was like I lived on another planet over the hill, you know, it was because I'd moved from Ancoats to Mars Blatheim. But it's only a bridge separates it. But because I was only young, it was like another planet away to me. All my friends was different and it was a different area type thing. Um, so I was very alone. I had kept to secrets and um, I just wasn't an happy child then. You know what I mean? I wasn't an happy kid at all. So I got to like 13 and 14 and started doing street robberies in the city centre, like following the crowd, because we'd go in town, a lot of gang of us. And it turns out now that these guys who we was, I was rolling with when I was 13 and 14 and now they turned into the gangsters of Manchester. Like it was the, all the main heads was there, the main Cheetah Mill boys, the main Moss Side boys. But before it was gangs, we was just friends then. Um, so we'd just roll in the city centre gangs of us and we was taxing hats off people and baseball caps and whatnot. You know, silly, because it was called taxing and it was like a craze what happened and everyone was taxing everyone, basically. I mean, even I got taxed myself on some baseball cap <laughs> once, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we was just taxing everyone and I got arrested for robbery. So then I got probation and whatnot then. And when I got probation and stuff... Um, I used to play snooker with the probation officer and whatnot. And it was all right. He was quite a good fella. He turned into like the regional manager of the probation service in the end. Um, but he was a really nice fella. He used to treat me really nice. Um, and I started selling, me and my mate, this girl come out of, on our estate called Joanne. And she was a drug dealer. She started selling weed from a flat. So we started selling for her. So I was selling weed and for her after school. Um, me and my mate was selling from a spy hole, you know, in the door, we'd open yeah. the spy hole like <laughs> it was... Because when we were smoking weed, we had to go to a Hume and in Hume, the flats, it was like a, a fortified house with a, a hole in the door, like, so we tried to copy their style type thing. <laughs> the police could have just took our door off. We just locked it, you know, double locked it for we could be safe. So we're behind this door selling drugs and the gang come for us, um, started booting the door, open the door, who, who are you, who the F are you? They start saying to us. And me and my mate, who's a bit older than me, is a doorman now. Um, we were like panicking, what are we going to do? So we went, just open the door. So we just opened the door and the lads who realised it was us. And they're like, oh, it's you's lot. You know what I mean? It's you and your mate. So uh, they didn't tax us anyway. 
So then we started getting a bit of our name for ourselves, as like doing our own bits, you know what I mean? And we was buying our own drugs then. And then the Thunderdome opened. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Thunderdome. Party time, chapter one. Yeah. First time I took my pills and my billy whiz. Well, that's the one. The Thunderdome <laughs> opened our estate and it was a life-changing experience for everyone who went there. You what know? year did it open? Yeah. 1988, it opened. 88, was it? That's the year I was born. It was 88, yeah. 34 years ago. Yeah, wow, yeah. And it was a club. It was just a big... It was a big club. It was a big club with four fire exits, two down each lane at the side of it, and it was a main roadway you'd entered. And we used to sell drugs from the in the corner at the girls' toilets. And... um on our estate, there was Pioneers of Music, 808 State came off our estate. Um, Nicky Lockett, uh, um, Family Foundation, Illustrious, all these dance pioneers from back then. A guy called Gerald, he used to be at our club, you know. Shout out to Jay Weirden, DJ. Yeah, Jay Weirden. I went to school with Jay Weirden. He went to my school. Um, so when the Thunderdome opened, our lives changed for us all. Because it was the summer of love. Because 1988 into 1989, they classed both years as summer of love. Um, the second summer of love, they call it, because 69 was the first one, the flower power age, and the, the new one was there. So um, we knew it was something big. We knew we was onto something big because it was dance music and we were, everyone was making dance music. And um, some seminal songs, what you'd still hear today, what are, like uh, Flowers, it was a replay, a remix from back then, old songs and stuff like that. Old songs for we made now. Yeah, yeah. So we had we had the Thunderdome on our estate. So we're selling in the Thunderdome. Me and my mate. And Vita. Manchester vibes in the area. And Vita with the big dreadlocks down to his back, yeah. He was a glassman as well, wasn't he? Was it? I don't I know. So, Never yeah. went to Glastonbury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a well-known guy. We used to see him with dreadlocks to the floor, swinging his dreadlocks. Yeah, and he was oh, to the floor. Kid. So he was the coolest guy. He looked the coolest ever. Yeah. yeah. What age he was did you cool start guy. going? I was like 14, 13. 14? Yeah, I was born in '74, so I was a yeah. young baby going there. I was probably getting pills off you in the front of the door. <laughs> you probably was. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Because yeah. we used to have fifty pills, and my mate had have fifty pills, and we'd sell them. Do you recognise them? I think. <laughs> I probably do, yeah. He showed me a picture of him in in his check British nights. In his British nights, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what yeah, we used to wear. Back then. Well he was the coolest guy in town if you had British night trainers back then. Or a pair of troop. Remember troop trainers as well? Troop. troop. I never had troops. troops. You never owned no, troop. No. Yeah, they was cool. a troop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone was wearing the troop, yeah. I got a pair of uh, British Knights out of catalogue. Yeah. My mum bought me a pair out of the catalogue, costed a fortune, <laughs> they did. Yeah. Yeah, with a, with a tongue where it had a stash in the pocket, a tongue, because all yeah. British Knights didn't have a stash in the tongue. The what? Yeah, the tongue of the trainers all had a stash in them, like so a you Velcro. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Had a Velcro in. little stash you put your drugs in, yeah. Honest to God, yeah. Wow. We didn't yeah. have them, did we? No. Yeah. <laughs> Not in so our day. So I used to go to the Thunderdome with. I went to town and bought two kaleidoscopes. So the glass out of the kaleidoscope, I made these glasses, put the lenses of kaleidoscopes to these glasses, these cheap glasses, 
and put them on sellotape to it and put them on. And so when you was hallucinating off the trips, all the pills, you'd put these on, you'd see all this glass broken up, yeah? So I'd have people asking me for the glasses, and there was a very known, well-known glasses in the end, because I had to make about four pairs, and everyone was mivering me for these glasses. And all the people who didn't take drugs was like, let me put your glasses on to get off of it for a bit, yeah? <laughs> but yeah, so... Yeah, that was good times. The Thunderdome, uh, the Hacienda. Did you get up on and dance on the stage? We was front? on the stage at the front, yeah, where yeah. you was, yeah. yeah. I was probably pushing next to Sean <laughs> like this with that. Checking big box, card box, little box and all that. Looking down at everyone, it was like, yeah. you were all looking up and it was like... Yeah, it was amazing. Was. You, you like, electric, when you it? When you stood on that stage yeah. and raved, it was like they were, everyone was looking at you. Did you That's how like you felt. Superstars. You felt like the star of the show. Yeah. You felt like the star of the show. You did, did you, Sean? Did, dancing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's get your dance moves up you to speed to, fast. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, we must have been fit as a fiddle because we was dancing non-stop for like three or four hours. I wouldn't even take hours. a pee break. I was, I was so excited. No such fingers are weak. Yeah. It's just like rain, yeah, yeah. Just it? sweat it out. Sweat it out of you, yeah. So yeah. it'd get to Sounds like... Sounds delightful. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it'd get to like uh, one o'clock in the morning. It'd like be a sauna. The ceiling would be dripping. You, my friend used to think that was they were spraying water on you. Oh my god, that's the sweat! She was it? in a club and she was like, "Oh, it's luscious water they're spraying." Yeah. I, was like, I was like, "Mate, that ain't water." Yeah, sweat. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, the ceiling was black, so it was painted black, and the sweat used to come down on you and drip oh, on you. Yeah. yeah, and the little room with the snooker table in it had a little room with the snooker table in for some reason. What uh, conspiracy? Was it like a labyrinth, wasn't it? That's exactly Caves what it stuff. was. It was just a crazy place, conspiracy. When I walked in there, it was like a dream come true because there's loads of like 10 different rooms all open, different DJs in playing music. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it all just seemed like it all run into one. It was just like this. <laughs> so you'd go up these little stairs into one room and you'd go down in these little cubby holes and stuff into and it was all a, there was a Salford room it was like a gangster room where all the, the lads are standing do you know what I mean it was yeah. like it was a raver room yeah but the Thunderdome was a classic so yeah I remember one day being in there Sean and um, I'm dancing away and I see a CID dancing in front of me and I say to my mate I'm getting out of here and I was tripping actually and I went I'm getting out of here and he went you calm down you're tripping you, you're losing it and I'm like I'm not I've just seen a street theft dancing. He nicked me like the week before for a robbery in town, honest to God. And he interviewed me. Remember it now. And I said to me, mate, he interviewed me last week on an interview for a street robbery. And he's like, no, you're lying. Are you thinking it's him? So we walked out. We were walking down the road towards, on our way to uh, the Hacienda. And we seen all the tagmans raid it. So I said, I told you so. And loads of people got arrested. It was so you'd like seen before it's going to happen, man. Yeah, didn't, seen didn't it, it get happen. closed down soon. It eventually, once the raid it, started, it got started it, getting raided yeah. regular. So they was finding a hell of a lot of drugs because everyone had dropped the drugs on the floor. So they were sweeping up and using it as like because uh, at the time it was illegal to rave, wasn't it? It was mm. like you weren't allowed to do parties. It was like the you? number one menace to the yeah, society, it was number wasn't one. It? Yeah, it was all the politicians page. were showing. That's really right. They were using it. These ravers. They was using it. It's wide-eyed, like yeah. psychedelic. They was using it for clout, weren't they? Like, yeah. they were saying, look, raving's wrong, and yeah. all these people are like... But they just advertised it for 
forest, didn't they? Really? Yeah, because no one. The convoys on the motorway were as far as you could see back and forth. Far as you could see. Every lane, ravers. Two in the morning. Two in. We just sometimes we'd we'd get into a rave and we couldn't get there because there was too many cars there, and someone had just opened the boot and massive speakers had come out, and everyone had just (laughs) be on the main road, just raving like it was. An open oh, air rave, yeah. you know, dancing on yeah. cars. And we follow the convoy to the after party somewhere up in some field That's or something. That's right, yeah, after <laughs> party. Some warehouse. Yeah, some warehouse somewhere. Yeah. Did you ever go up, get up to Liverpool way? We went to Blackburn. 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 Is that Shamu? Was it called, called Shamu? What it was called. It was oh, I think it was Blackpool. Place, Blackpool yeah. Shamu. Shelley's yeah. in Stoke. Yeah, there was Shelley's in Stoke. Eclipse in Coventry. Yeah. Yeah, there was yeah. one in Warrington as well, I think, wasn't there? Oh, was that one called in Warrington? Uh, yeah. Legends, was it? Something, I can't remember the names oh, of them. You've got all the... Yeah, because yeah, we're in the tea, But we travelled everywhere, me and my mate, yeah. We went all over. We even ended up in Birmingham at, like, some big, massive... Rag, rag Market in Birmingham. Is that what it was? Yeah. 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 We went everywhere. Furthest we went was the fridge in Brixton. Did you? Yeah, wow. Yeah. I never went to, made it to London. Yeah. And but I used to have to sneak out my bedroom, me. I used to have to, I used to, have to go home. <laughs> so I was tripping out my head. I'd go home, my mum would let me in, I'd go in and my dad would generally go to work at 2 a.m. So I'd wait for him to go to work and then I'd sneak out and <laughs> go back out. Would you leave like a cover with like stuff No, because he was at work so I knew he wouldn't be back till the next <laughs> afternoon like type thing. So, because uh, he'd do a, two, a 210 shift or a 2 summit shift or something. And your something mum didn't like. suspect anything? She, you know, she'd let me go. She'd just say nothing, you know what I mean? Oh, my Yeah. She'd be like, I don't, she'd open the door and she'd be like, are you all right? I'd be like, I'm all right. <laughs> my eyes just popping out of my head like, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. She'd be like, go to your room. I'd like, hey. <laughs> I'd drop my billy and time it for like, just as I'm about to leave the house. But sometimes yeah. parents catch me in my eyes and be like, this. Uh, yeah. oh my you God. Talk, your brain's like, you're talking a mile a minute, aren't you? A mile yeah, a minute, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, yeah. So I quickly... <laughs> I got into Wiz and Acid because there was a guy who used to sell Wiz on my estate, an Indian guy, and he was known for the Wiz dealer. And he was a Wiz head himself and his missus was a Wiz head, yeah. So we'd, we'd go to them to buy our, our ounces of Wiz and stuff uh, and then we'd chop it up and then we'd sell it in the club's head, yeah. But the trips and the, the, the ease... The ease was just love. It was just L-O-V-E in big, massive letters everywhere because you just wanted to hug everybody. You know, when the start of the rave scene, it was a beautiful, sad scene. It was finally people could go from Manchester to Liverpool and previously all the hooliganism, it was violence, wasn't it? Right, yeah, the football hooliganism was before that, wasn't it? So then it just turned into love and all these hard guys were just hugging each other at the end each of the life stories and hugging life each other story, it, just yeah. yeah well I'll tell you one I was in a rave one night selling pills and we've gone back to this house um, a big four story house what was a rave all the floors was a rave but I'm tired and I'm sat on a table and I put my money in my shirt pocket you know showing off type thing that I've got loads of money oh, and I fell asleep <laughs> I fell asleep and I woke up and my money's gone. And this guy's come up to me and mate, here's your money. <laughs> I held it for you because you was asleep. Oh my. And I was like, are you kidding me? This guy's just giving me like 700 quid of all this sweaty money. He just gave it me back. It's like, that's how it was back then. Yeah. You know what I mean? It felt that way, yeah. There was an era, wasn't there, before it got moody, where it was so it was innocent, wasn't really it? was a really nice vibe. 1987 and eight, it's 1988 and 89 was just beautiful and into the 90s and then the 90s just started getting a bit 
violent and stuff. Do you know what I mean? I think the guy, I think what was happening was they, they realised how much money was made, not just on doors, but on the drugs as well. Do you know what I mean? Like we used to have bouncers taking drugs off people and giving us drugs to sell for him. You know what I mean? Like someone would take 50 pills off someone and say, right, sell them for us and give us half each. You know what I mean? So there's a hell of a lot of money to be made. And it was so disorganised because anyone could sell drugs in the club, you know? If you had drugs, you'd sell them. You know what I mean? And then the gangs wanted to start making the money off it. Then obviously organised crime comes into it, doesn't it? And started wanting to take its piece out of it. So it started getting moody. You know, I remember once being in the Hacienda... And uh, the Noonans had the door and whatnot. And he, Damien used to run that door with an iron fist. He was a really... But he, why he did that as well is because he was so cool. Because if you had a knife on you and stuff, he'd let you in the club as long as you're not going to stab anybody. Do you know what I mean? There were only one, one or two people who was known back then for stabbing people. Uh, so he'd say to you, like, put your knife away and don't pull it out in here or... And he'd let people, like the gangsters in with real guns, you know what I mean? Just let them in, knowing they're not going to let gun shots off and stuff. So these gunmen stood there uh, with real weapons. Um, and then you'd see the moodiness then, do you know what I mean? But I remember once Tony Wilson, the King of Manchester, came up to us and said, hey, you got good pills, you lads. And me and me <laughs> like, yeah, Tony. <laughs> and he walked to him like, Tony Wilson's just said that spoke to us. You know what I mean? We was behind the DJ booth in the Hacienda. That was our place to sell pills. So anyone who wanted our drugs used to come there. You know what I mean? Here's a message from our sponsor. So, Jen, have you ever, like, signed up for a gym or something or other and then they just keep taking this money out of your bank yes it's really really frustrating um you know if you want to cancel you want to cancel straight away do you know why free trials renew without your consent it's something that drives me mad absolutely mental of course it's a business scam out to get you (laughs) don't let greedy corporations pocket your money Download Truebill to take care of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions. That you don't need, want or simply forget about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Which is approximately 500 quid. (laughs) (laughs) Because these damn companies make it hard to cancel your subscriptions. Truebill makes it incredibly easy to cancel. Just link your accounts and Truebill will make it easy to cancel your subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there for when you want to cancel any unwanted subscriptions. So you don't have to. Stay on top of your spending with Truebill. Get an effortless breakdown of your finances to see where your money is going and how to improve. Truebill will notify you of important events that need your attention so you're never caught off guard again. Like Jennifer B, he says, With your help, our family has saved $587 this year on unnecessary subscriptions. I really didn't understand how Truebill could help me until we decided to save for a very large home purchase. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start cancelling today at truebill.com forward slash Sean S-H-A-U-N So go right now to truebill.com forward slash Sean It could save you thousands per year Thank you for supporting our sponsors 
It's very important for the podcast production. And the links, as usual, are in the description box below this video. And um, it got to... I was dancing in a club one night and I've just made all my money. I'm 17 and there's this girl dancing and she keeps looking at me all the time and everywhere I go, she's there, right? So I recognise her face. I've seen her before and I said, where are you from? You And she said, I'm from um, Collierst. Not Collierst. She's from Beswick on the border where I live. So I said, oh, I live in Ancoach right near Beswick. And she lived right near the Salvation Army over the hill. So she said, do you want to come back to mine? We'll just have a buzz and have a chill and take, you know what I mean? And I've got like a bag of whiz on me or something like that. So I'm just dipping my whiz, dabbing my whiz. But in Rizla, I'm taking that. I'm sat there in her house and she said, um, have you ever took cocaine? So me, I'd only ever had it in a joint before. I'd never snorted it. I'd never literally had sniffed cocaine because it wasn't really about then that big. It was the big time Charlie cocaine then. It was for businessmen and stuff. It didn't really come into the Ian trip in the party scene until much later on cocaine, didn't it? Sean? Yeah, it yeah. was like a yuppie thing, wasn't it? It was a yuppie thing. Yeah. That was it, yeah. So it wasn't for me. Champagne yeah. Charlie's. Champagne Charlie's. <laughs> so the, she said to me, if you took cocaine? So I said, well, I've tried it in spliffs. So I said, kind of, yeah, yeah. And she came in with a crap pipe. But I didn't know it was crack. I didn't know what crack was. I'd never heard of crack. I'd I'd heard of crack because I'd read it in the sun. I thought back and I thought, is this? But it was too late because she went, try this, suck on this. And I just went, and I sucked it for about 15 seconds. And as I held it in, and when when it hit my brain, I thought, this is the drug that I've been searching for all my life. It's like all the drugs combined, it's better than any of them. That's the first thing I thought, I'm going to be addicted to this straight away. It was funny. I knew how, how it gripped me straight away. So I've smoked about £400 with her. She had a drug dealer who was delivering to her house. So she was literally just making a phone call. And there was a guy, I'd never seen the guy. I'd just sit in the living room and she'd come in with more, more of this crack. So the next day, I went to my best mate and I went, mate, I've just found a better drug than all the pills and everything else. You know what I mean? Let's try this. And it was a big mistake. I never did it again after that. You know, tried to give people cracks and realise what it was then, but at the time I didn't realise. <clears throat> so I said to my mate, try this, it's really nice. So me and my mate have sat there smoking it. Um, I'm living with my a girl who I met. I got a job in a factory when I left school. My sister got me a job in a factory at 15, because right, I'd been expelled and stuff. So I was going to a special school, like for where they just put you. But it's like it's not really a school. You just sit around in there. They just yeah, and yeah. like youth centres when you get expelled. So I've gone to one of them, and they've just been really cool with me and said you can go and whatnot. So anyway, as I'm getting to fifteen to sixteen, um, my sister's working in a factory in Newton Heath, local to us. So she said, I can get you a job in there. So at first. They wanted me to start putting those big rolls of material on my shoulders and carrying them, but I couldn't do it. It was too heavy for me, yeah. I was only a kid. So I said to the fella, I can't do this, it's too heavy, these rolls are breaking my back, I can't do it. So he said, right, let me get you another job and see what we can do in the factory. So they started, they gave me a job going with a big trolley 
and putting all material on it off the cut. All the girls are sewing in rows on like these floors on the the fifth floor or the fourth, yeah, the fourth floor on the third floor are where the girls are sewing. The second floor is the stores and the first floor is the offices, all right? So I'm going along these girls and I'm getting all these factory cuttings and then I'm going down outside and I've got to push it through the car park and over to this big shed. But this big shed connects onto the canal where I know I can get to, yeah? So I don't. I just was in thieving mode straight away. So I've seen an opportunity. So what I started doing was I got a, a piece of cardboard and I separated the material. So I was putting the material down the edges. So I left the big centre of the material open. So I'd go to the fourth floor, get all the material off the girls, go to the third floor, get all the material. Second floor was the stores. I'd stop at the stores, I'd run in, grab two boxes, and it was quilt cover and pillar case sets. Grab two boxes, throw them in the thing, and cover it with material and push it out across this car park. So I realised I was throwing them over. After work, I was going onto the canal. So bear in mind, you had to work a week in hand. So I'm doing this day 13, this is. Yeah, I'm getting paid on the fir- I'm getting paid on the Thursday. This is the Wednesday. Mm. I do my normal thing, put two boxes in, I'm rolling it over as I'm throwing them over. The manager, when I knew you was doing this, I've been clocking you and ran over to me and went to the second, the phone the police. I'm not letting him go like this. And I went, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to run for you, caught me. <laughs> so, uh, uh, they said, like, what have you been doing? And obviously I got I got a caution for theft from the workplace and sacked and didn't get my weekend and money. That's the first time you did it? No, no, I've been doing it for days. Was it, oh, days? Yeah, I've been doing it up to day 13. Like, I got the got the job pushing the material about after three days of being there. So, like, for about a week solid, I was going and just doing it. I've done it about five or six times. Did you make any money off it? Not really, like 80 quid a time. I could carry, what, two little boxes with six each and 12. So I was making, like, 120 quid a time off it, yeah? Carrying two boxes down the canal and selling them on the estate. I wasn't really making no money. But um, while I was there, I met my... I met a girl. Some girl had her eye on me when I was there. Um, and my, my sister introduced me to this girl. And she had a house on my estate. She had a flat on my estate right where I grew up. So I'd, we moved on, to, we lived in Ancoats. Then when I moved onto the new estate when I was 11, so when I got to like this age, just left school 15, 16, um, I moved, my sister got me this job in the factory. So then I got sacked from there. I'm just selling and taking drugs. I just don't care. I don't care about my life by then. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then, as I say, I quickly got addicted to crack. And that was then my life just changed. So then I was with this girl. She gets pregnant. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't old enough to have a child. I didn't... I, it was my first girlfriend. She was my first proper girlfriend. And she comes up pregnant. And I'm like, straight away, I'm like, we can't, we can't have a baby. We're too young. You know what I mean? But she wants to keep the baby, obviously. And I want—I don't want to get rid of the baby. 
No, but I know I can't, I, I can't manage a baby. I'm too young. I couldn't <coughs> even manage myself. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like when we used to argue, I'd have to go back to my box bedroom at my mum and dad's house. Do you know what I'm saying? So I didn't have no property or anything. And I realised quickly, I've, but if you do, if you do that, you've got to take the responsibility. But I didn't. I didn't have no, I just, uh, I was addicted to crack. What happened is while she was pregnant is when I got addicted to crack. Yeah. Because like when she got pregnant, we, we was arguing a lot. We, we, we was, we was in a relationship, but we was fighting all the time. And I was going out partying and she was a drinker at home. So we was two different types of people. Um, so we was arguing a lot. And when she got pregnant, she moved into a mum's then, because to the mum to help her. So the flat, what she had, she sort of abandoned it. So I used to just use it then, like to sell drugs from. And, uh, and as, as I was saying, I was smoking crap by then. Do you know what I mean? Um, life was really hard then as an addict. Got very difficult very quickly. So I found out there was some lads selling heroin on my estate. So I've, I, some lads were sitting there smoking crack and these lads said, oh, that, that, that Paul selling smack and that house near the bridge. So when he's selling smack him now, nah, I'm not letting him sell smack. He's not even from around here. I'm thinking, no way is this guy selling smack on my estate. So I was with, I seen some lad who, I was walking on the way down to go and go on, knock on on my own and I seen some lad who I didn't even know and I went, lad, do you fancy doing a graph with me? And he went, yeah, yeah. So I went, I've got a machete here, mind that for me. So I passed him a machete. I've knocked on the door. The lads answered the door. So I said, what are you doing selling smack on my estate? Walked in, there was five lads there, all like with the drug phone and stuff, serving up. Um, so I took the drug phone, took all the money, took a bracelet, took all the change off the sides, said to me, you better stop selling smack round here, right? Walked out the back door. The lad who I was with threw, a machete, threw the machete unbeknownst to me on the floor. So we've gone back to this place. We've given him a treat off all the money. Forgot about the machete and he's gone. Three days later, they get arrested for robbery times two. So two of the lads in the house had made a statement saying that I'd robbed him, but they never said they were selling drugs. They just said he's come in and stole off us, right? So uh, I'm, I'm nicked for robbery times two on a bunch of smart dealers. So, But I get bail. So as I I'm, I'm get bail and I'm sat in my mate's house, what's opposite? The Aldi, a local Aldi, or a Netto, it had just opened, it just come to this country at the time. So I'm stood there one day and I see the lad who, one of the lads who made the statement, I see him walking to the Netto and I get him, I kick his feet from underneath him, I put my knee on his throat and I'm like, why did you phone the police? I just robbed, you know, just took your shit, man, you know what I mean? Why did you get me nicked? He's got up and phoned the police again, said I was, so I got nicked for interfering with a witness and got remanded into custody. <sighs> It is what is that it the is. First time you went to jail? That's the first time I went to jail. Yeah, so I landed in jail then, and uh, I'm in jail with all these people who are just up and coming like gangsters, basically. You know, big names of Manchester's crime. Um, quickly, straight away, I'm listening to stories of all these guys who are getting big names now. But before we was just kids, you know, and then I see them again, and they're all in prison. Is this a YO? Y.O.'s, yeah. So yeah. I walk into a cell in Hindley Prison and the only thing what was in the cell was a bed frame. There was nothing else, no furniture, no mattress, no cupboards, 
just a bed frame and a piss bucket in the corner. Mm. Slop out, so there was no toilet. And on the windows was three layers of metal and then the bars and then another three layers. So there was like three little crisscrosses of iron, you know, crisscross iron. But what had happened to it is because so much spit and wee and poo had gone through it, there was animals, millipedes uh. on the windows. <laughs> yeah, there was millipedes and little animals on the windows. Like it was a whole community of insects <laughs> and stuff, yeah? And you'd look out the window and it'd just be all shit parcels all. Because you'd have to shit in a newspaper and throw it out because yeah. you couldn't shit in a bucket in a room with your... With stick your, room out. Your cellmate. Mm. So how are you going to squat in a bucket in front of your cellmate, yeah? So you had to roll your poo up and slide it out. And that's what we'd have to do, you know what I mean? So we, we was living like animals, yeah? It was like we was proper in cages, like animals, yeah? And um, I used to get a bit of weed on my visit. My my baby, as my baby was born by this time, and she used to come up and bring weed up on a visit for me on a quiet. So, but I'd only give it to a couple of people. And um, one day, I put my weed to my bum cheeks, got back to my cell, and I can't find it. I've lost it. I'm like, oh my god, no way. Like, I've took a strip church, I've squatted and everything. And I'm thinking, where's it gone? Yeah, because it was like a square, little tiny square, and a, like a, uh, a team fit was called, a solid, <laughs> a little team for solid it was. So I've pushed it as quick, you know, as deep as I could to my bum cheeks to make sure it's secure. And anyway, all this, I'm searching, ripped all my clothes off. My boy banging on the door going, Marv, have you got that weed? I'm like, I've lost it. He's like, fuck off, you're lying. You know, he's like, no way have you lost it. You're not lost it. Um, So I've just given it up. One, It's about half 11 at night. I'm just about to, fl- I've just come off the top, just about to flush the chain and I see my weed bobbing on the thing. <laughs> so because I've pushed it that much and I've took a strip search and I've been walking, it's like slid itself like to your bum. <laughs> I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> It, like it was unbelievable it was incredible and that was the first time I knew anything about you could plug things and cheat things and all that I didn't know about all that I'd never, I'd never been to jail before you know what I mean so what I did in unbeknown to me as I plugged it without realising yeah. yeah you know because I've like pushed it right up and like yeah. oh, right, it's secure you know what I mean I didn't realise uh, yeah so then uh well, I didn't like put plugging things like people would plug some incredible. I'd we see phones and all sorts. Yeah, of later on in the jail, but at the time, like I didn't even know about. I didn't know what plugging was. You know <laughs> what I mean? So yeah, I was getting bits of weed on my visit. So I was living really good in jail. Like I was getting the canteens and whatnot. And then, uh, what was that sentence? Sorry, a robbery times two. I got twenty seven months for it. Months. Yeah, they kept me in and got a twenty seven month sentence for robbery. So uh, robbery times two. So um, I get out and I'm addicted to crack straight away. I buy crack with my discharge money. But all the way through the sentence, I'm saying I'm never touching crack again. I'm never touching it again. I'm never touching it again. And you build up this power. But let me tell you, that power just goes straight out the window the minute you get money in your hand. You know, you, I just All I wanted was crack. So I bought crack with my discharge grant and I'm back doing it again the same thing but I've run out of ideas to make money on my estate by this time because I've 
got tick off everyone I could. Everyone knows I'm a crackhead now. Yeah, it's gone round mouths on crack. So um, the flat what I was in, what had happened was these main gang members had come from Moss Side and moved there as a little getaway and had a flat, like a getaway flat there. But he's got some lads selling for him who lived opposite me, like in my block on the same landing as me. And he got caught on the canal selling for him and give my address by mistake. He said it was by mistake, but he'd give my address as his address. So the police would come to my house instead of his to search it, right? So I think he was trying to, you know, because he'd just been caught selling. So the police have come to my house and I've had to push loads of parcel down the toilet because they're banging on. Like they're not going to break the door because they think it's his partner or whatever lives there. So I've pushed all this weed and money down the toilet, right? The police realised that it wasn't, I wasn't, um, and let me, and I've gone, they've gone. So I flew down to the flats, opened the grid, I got a fishing rod out this, out this <laughs> shop, yeah, got a fishing rod and pushed it onto the grid all, yeah. I started saying, right, flush your toilet, and as couple of people flushed the toilets for me i seen my money going down caught some of the money caught some of the sticks of weed the sputnik yeah i ended up salvaging about 95 quid out of it all so yeah i salvaged loads of the money and loads of the weed dried all the weed and sold it you know what i mean it was, like, it was wrapped in cling film anyway yeah but yeah uh so um i was like as i say i was just a drug dealer and i was just pissing about selling weed and selling trips and selling whiz and raving, you know what I mean? My raving life was really good, but as soon as I got addicted to crack, I couldn't afford the pills and stuff then, so we started doing snideys then. You know, I used to do um, fake rhubarb and custard, so I'd buy cold capsules and, um, like, this other capsule. So one was green and yellow and one was red and something else. So I'd take the red off one the yellow off another one and put them both together. Put whiz in them and put a bit of trip, cut trips up and we'd do whiz and trip and sell them as easy as rhubarb and custards. <laughs> yeah, and I'd had people coming back for more, you know, because they must have been really good. You know, imagine how strong they was. Do you reckon you saw one to Sean? <laughs> yeah, so Sean. Rhubarb and custard does ring a bell, you know. <laughs> We'd have loved that anyway. Yeah. Speed and trips. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. So my mate brought a song out called Ten Snideys as well at the time, you know, because <laughs> we was, yeah, uh, it quite caught quite well as well. It made, it did well as well, Ten Snideys. And um, we was going around uh, promoting it, right? We went around the country, went as far as Wales and stuff, promoting um, this this LP, what he did, this record. So we was doing parties all over the country, you know, while we was travelling with him a little bit. Uh there was good times, yeah, but like I say... Did you party with Bez on the Happy Mondays? I seen Bez, but I never partied with him as such, yeah, but we used to see Bez in Moss Side later on in, in my life, like I say. So I got nicked for selling snide pills. Right? How did they catch you? Well, they did watch me selling these all night, and they took my door off, and um, they've had all my fake pills, and me thinking I'm smart, I just admitted it in an interview. Like, they've interviewed me and went, I went, yeah, I was still selling them in the clubs, like, making a few quid, because they're not real, right? And it wasn't, I, I wasn't using anything 
it wasn't wheezing trips at the time. I didn't have no, I just had a fake bash. So I was just filling in with fake bash. So it was proper fakies. So I got in the newspaper as like this fake, it, the, 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 the article said, fakes to sell snideys in clubs. <laughs> yeah, so I got in the newspaper, like the Manchester Evening News for selling snideys. But it wasn't harmful or anything like that. It was just glucose in him, do you know what I mean? Um, so then I couldn't sell from clubs anymore. Like I'd come bangers <laughs> in the club scene. Like I was, the police was getting me and pulling me all the time. So I started going to Moss Side on the front line on um, one of the main roads and it was just an open air drug market. And I was living in empty houses and living in people's houses and making money and just a just a crackhead. Like, so people had come from Sheffield or Nottingham or somewhere and they'd, I'd flag them down and say, yo, my mate's got the best parcel in the park. And they'd, they'd trust me to take them over, serve them, and I'd get, be getting bits off them, bits off him. I'd have the prostitutes getting dropped off in punters' cars and saying, Marv, who's got the best crack? And I'd be taking them to the crack dealers and stuff. And that's how I was living for a while. We came in my mum's car there and scored some weed with Wildman. Yeah, Stop I can believe it. it. Yeah. Wait, your street's pass probably crossed a few deaths. Oh, yeah, we definitely passed. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen Bez, Bez come down there once or twice, yeah. So I've seen Bez in Moss Side once or twice. But, yeah, um, I was uh, just, like, doing all the work for people. And it was an hard life being a crackhead, really hard. Because all you're thinking about is where you're getting your next money from, do you know what I mean? And I didn't really, I never was one for snatching handbags or anything like that. That wasn't my cup of tea at all. Because I'd never hurt women, I'd never do violence against women, that wasn't me. Because I remember when I was young, this, this prostitute called Diane, she said to me, there's two rules. Don't hit women and don't take the money. It's as simple as that. Yeah, don't hit the women, don't take the money. You'll be treated really well all the time, you know what I mean? And I, I used that as a... My moral compass was right. I used that to guide me, do you know what I mean, in the right direction. So I would never rob off the prostitutes. I'd never take the money. I'd never want sex off them, you know what I mean? It wasn't me. Like, I knew they was working all day. The last thing they wanted to do was, like, have sex with someone, you know what I mean? So... I'd be avoiding that, like, the plague with him, you know what I mean? And I'd find somewhere for him to go to smoke crap because I was opening houses in Moss Side and stuff. Did you ever hear of any acts of violence on him? I've seen a lot of violence on him, yeah. I've seen a lot of lot of bad things happen to the girls, like gangs of gangs, rapes and stuff like that, you know, being traumatised girls, black eyes and being beaten up a lot, you know what I mean? I've seen a hell of a lot of that, yeah, a, a regular... It was a regular occurrence. But it wasn't mostly punters, it was mostly the boyfriends who was beating them up, you know what I mean? Like, um, so, so you said you were injecting them as well? Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, yeah, inject. What was, the, what was that with the injecting? What? What you wonder what you were saying, like, They were saying like they were getting women and injecting them and then getting them on the game. Well, that's what they used to do. That's what men are doing in general. Yeah, they get them on, hooked on drugs in general and get them on the game. And take all their money. And so take all the money. Mm, so they'd have to keep it. doing it, yeah. So I'd get a girl who'd come to me and say, Marv, come on, let's go and get, go and have a smoke. My boyfriend's doing my head in, you know what I mean? He's been searching for me all night and like, 
she's bored of him. She's just so he sat at home waiting for her to go and work her ass off, literally, and he'd get half of the money. Or she'd smoke the money with him, and they'd have enough and just want to go somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? So like, it'd be, it'd be me to be coming to a lot. You know, like even to this day, I've got a lot of girls who ex-working girls who say, Marv, you know what? You was always 100%. You, you never, like, treated us wrong or anything like that. You know what I mean? That was, just wasn't me. I wasn't... That wasn't my cup of tea at all. Was it like, common for girls to go missing? I used to get the girls to go back to places where they come from. I'd say to them, like, a new girl. I'd see a new girl on the beat and I'd be like, don't stay here. Go. Go. This is the worst place you can work. Go and work in a brothel or something. Don't stand on these streets. Because you think it's easy money, but it's not because you're getting picked up 10 times an hour. You know what I mean? Every five minutes you're in and out of cars, you destroy yourself fast, you know what I mean? Like one of my friends, I I used to roll with this girl, beautiful looking girl, tall blonde, very, very attractive. A sister used to come from college, from university to come and see her and just stand with her and talk to her. So one girl's an addict, the other one's a straight member. And I used to try and say to her, just stop this, stop this, stop this. I got out of jail one day and um, I've got loads of money. I've got like 400 quid on me. Someone owed me some money. I've picked up my money. I've got like 400 quid. And I'm in a back club looking for a girl to smoke with, smoke crap with, and I see her. I, get, I can't remember her name now. And I get in the car with her and she's like, hiya, Marv. I'm like, how are you doing? I'm buzzing to see you. And I'm saying, where are you living? She said, I've got a flat in Salford. I said, come on, let's go. And we're in the black cab. And I can smell this smell. And this smell, it just reminds me of like when you smell like a dead cat or a dead animal. It's that smell what really itch your throat. Mm. And I pulled the window down, put my head to the window. She said, Marv, I've got something to tell you. And I went, what? She went, I've been digging. And she pulled up a thigh. She had this big wrap round the thigh and she pulled it back and she had this big flesh-eating bug been eating her so she was like oh, it was the most disgusting smell I could imagine it broke my heart honestly it literally broke my heart watching yeah. this girl yeah I was like what have you done and she's like I've got to go all the time now and get it rebandaged and stuff you know so they go to walking centres all over the city centre and get them rebandaged up you know what I mean and they're still out she was still out selling herself with a leg like that um, and that's the one who had the sister, was it? She had the sister, yeah. I never knew what happened to her because I was going out of jail that much then. I still started... What I was doing was I was uh, committing thefts and anything. I was a prolific, persistent offender. So I had the police on my case all the time. Like The police was pulling me multiple times a day because my, my graph, what I was doing, was very hard to get caught doing because I'd go to car showrooms I'd see all the cars open so I'd know when catches are open so on Fords for example if you on the catch on the in there's no catch on the window but there's a catch on the inside so if you see it red as it's pushed in on a Ford for example if it's pushed in you know it's open on BMWs if you see the catch any catch at all on a BMW it means the doors and the boots open so I'd be walking round doing miles and miles a day, getting into open vehicles. That was my MO. I'd get into an open vehicle, clear it out, get into a black cab, go and sell the stuff. Smoke crack, do it again, go into town, search the town centre until I find an open car, sell the stuff and go and do it again, you know what I mean? And sometimes I got incredibly lucky. 
Like I got three and a half grand once out of a car in Chinatown, just off luck. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's a quick word from our sponsor. <laughs> know what that sound means? It's more sales being racked up on Shopify. What do you think of Shopify, Jen? I absolutely love Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to sell, grow and make money for your business. Have you used it to boost your business? 100%, <laughs> yeah. So Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell from anywhere in the world. From creating your online shop in your own look. To finding new customers to scaling your burning idea. You can do it all from one place. With no need for skills in design or coding. It's how every minute of every day, a new seller makes their first sale with Shopify and you can join them. So what is your favourite UK-based business that's found success with Shopify? It's got to be Gymshark. They have grown massively thanks to Shopify. Now it's your turn to start selling today with Shopify for free. And thanks to 24-7 support, Shopify is there to help you every step of the way. Sign up for a free 14-day trial at shopify.co.uk slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Sean right now to grow your business today. So that's shopify.co.uk forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. Was it mainly stereos? Just I used to take the stereos, I used to take the face off, so I'd search for the, you know, like you'd put your face off and you'd hide your face, wouldn't you, on your face off. Yeah. So I'd take the, the back out and then I'd search for your face, because I know in everything, you wouldn't carry it around, you'd just stash it somewhere in your car. So I was a nuisance, yeah. But the police couldn't catch me, because I wouldn't ransack the cars. I'd get in the car, I'd take the change, I'd take the money, you know, the bits, I'd take your valuables... I wouldn't say, leave your car or your paperwork scattered everywhere. So then you'd get in your car, you'd drive down the road, you'd be searching for something, so you've contaminated the crime scene then in the police's eyes. So if you then drive to a police station, I think I've had my car robbed, they'd say, well, we can't do anything because it's already been searched, you know what I mean? It's already got finger... You've already searched it yourself, so any fingerprints what would be on it are covered now, do you know what I'm saying? So... Is that when you was rolling around Moss Side as well? I was doing that as well in Moss Side, yeah. I was in and out of cars as well in my, while I was in Moss Side. I was coming out of Moss Side and I was getting into cars, do you know what I mean? I was in Moss Side in the night, in the evening, in the city centre, in the day, getting into robbing clothes and going into shops, you know what I mean? But my Moss Side, it was, uh, it was very difficult for me in Moss Side because a few people knew I wasn't from Moss Side. Like, I was known, but I wasn't from Moss Side, so we had, sometimes had the gangs coming up to me with Moss saying, where are you from, you, what are you doing round here? I'd be like, I'm just trying to make a few quid, you know what I mean? And I was ticking over that way. Um, and it was it was a really, really hard life because I'm buying drugs off someone and then someone else wants me to start doing work for them but I'm tied to someone else, you know what I mean? And I can't really say I'm working for him because he's opposite gang. Like, say, I'm doing a bit of work for a, a Doddington or Pepper Hill boy, and the gooch come and say, yeah, I do, you know what I mean? Do you want to do a bit of selling, like, or whatnot? So we was getting into, oh, not selling, do you want to take my number and get me some customers? And he'd be like, why have you not phoned me? And I'd be like, oh, I've got no customers. And he'd be like, oh, you're lighting, you're serving for someone else, you know, that type of thing. I was having all kinds of problems down there, but like I say, I was opening, I was opening empty houses. That was my mo. I'd find a fully furnished house, but a landlord's 
um, not got people in. I'd open it and I'd use it to have a crack house. So the local crack house in Moss Side had been mine. I'd have six or seven people in there all smoking crack, do you know what I mean? And doing rock, just been doing graphs and whatever, like. And um, I was in the old swimming baths one day and I used to sit in there with the, the, the gang of travellers. These travellers was doing all these criminal crimes all over Manchester. So they was making a lot of money. And there was a Coke can, what they smoked crack on, what we all smoked crack on, one Coke can in a, in a part of the swimming baths. So this Coke can, I'm smoking crack one day, and I, and I put it down and I'm looking at it thinking, that can's been there for months. I got a knife and opened it, and it was full of what you call recycles. It's all the crack cocaine, what's, not, what's been wasted, and it just falls through because crack burns like a liquid mm. when you light it. So it melted into a liquid and it hardens into the can. So I've scraped this can and it was that strong. I woke up, I've had a go of it, and, and I woke up smashing my head off the floor. But my brain is telling me, is asking me why I'm doing this. Yeah, so I'm going bang, 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 bang. And my head's going, Marv, why are you smashing your head off the floor? And I can't stop it. I'm going bang, 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 bang. Right? I'm having a fit, but I don't even realise that. I have this fit on the floor, and my head's cut on that. And I get up, like, run. This is the first thing I did, I ran, I ran down the road, high as a kite. And I've got dead far down the road, and I, I thought, wow, that was so strong, that. And I ran back before anyone else found it, and yeah. used it all day. Yeah, and used it all day. And had people, like, holding on when they had a go of it, because it was super strong, you know, because it had been, like, recycled. It was really, it was a horrible life being addicted to crack. It was all I could think about day in day out, do you know what I mean? I was sat with people who were like madmen, ex-leaders of gangs who have fell off and started smoking crack. So I'm in a house with these people who've got a machete or an axe out and the paranoid high off the crack, you know what I mean? And they're like, have you just stole my crack? And it's like, have you just took that piece of crack off there? And you're like, nah, mate, it's not been touched. I'm like, are you sure you've not touched that crack <laughs> off there? It's gone missing and they're searching. You've got to be really careful that you don't like flip somebody, you know what I mean? So I'd like, I got, I was paranoid. I used to have an axe down this sleeve and an axe down this sleeve with the heads there like that. So I'd have the handle down there and the, the piece here. And I'd just have it in my coat and I'd just walk around with it all day just in case someone had flip on me in a crack house. And I'd just say, don't start with me, man. I'd just pull my two axes <laughs> out and I'd say, don't do it. Don't even think about it. Do you know what I mean? Do you ever have to use the times. axes? I'd have to threaten people with them a few times, but thankfully I never used them, do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. so that was how, that's how heavy it was, yeah. And I, I had, it was... Like, because when you smoke crack, you get incredibly paranoid and also you get picky. So there'd be someone who'll think there's crack all over the floor and they'd be picking at the floor, yeah. So... I started working for this, these crack dealers who lived in a block of flats right near the city centre. And um, we all used to work for them. So all the well-known guys from my side or wherever would stand in these flats and watch out for police. And this guy and this girl would serve up from a gate. They'd open your front door and they'd have a gate there and they were selling. Right? So all the prostitutes used to go there all the thieves, all the robbers, 
everybody used to go there. It was just on the outskirts of uh, Moss Side. It wasn't in Moss Side, just on the outskirts. And one day, my mate stood on the balcony and was about to jump. He thought there was rats running up and down the balcony. So he's holding on, he's bollock naked, mind you, because he stripped his clothes off this man. And he stood there, bollock naked, holding on. He's stood on the balcony, an inch wide, or whatever, two inches wide, and he stood there, and it's seven floors up or eight oh, floors shit. up. And he's like, these rats running up and down the landing. And me and this guy, who's now a drug support worker, was like, mate, I was this side of him, and he was this side of him, and was going, calm down, everything's all right. There's no rats here. And we just both grabbed him at the same time and pulled him back. Oh. It was like, oh my God, mate, you just nearly gone. Do you know what I mean? And um, there was a girl who's very well known called Sandra. And she used to pick at her hair. And she picked her hair out. And she came to me one day. She's high on crack. I'm smoking crack with her. And she pulls a big knife out, one of those big daggers. And she starts going like this. Beside him, and she's going, Marv, you've got farm animals on your shoulders. And she's going like this with his knife. And I'm just froze because I thought, she, if it turns and she turns that knife, she's going to slit my throat. Mm. And I'm going, Sandra, I don't think I have, you know, love. I think it's the cracky. She's going, nah, I can see a cow and there's a sheep. <laughs> she's like this with his big dag on. I'm like, oh my God. And I'm froze in fear. I'm like, Calmed herself down and she's like, I said, put that knife away. Yeah, I was like, calm down, everything's all right. You know what I mean? I'm in this block of flats and like, this is madness, this. I'm like, so quickly got away from her, you know what I mean? But yeah, everyone, all the girls in town was terrified of her, but yeah. Um, so I'm doing a lot in Moss Side for people, serving up and not even serving up running for people like someone will come to me and say, I've got the best white here. There's a piece to try. So obviously they're giving me something to work for them. And then I'd be doing that. And then this girl who I met one day, um, she was a lesbian, but she was a working girl. But she wasn't a working girl because she never had sex with the punters, if that makes any sense. So she didn't like men, Right. She didn't like men because she'd had a bad experience with men. So she was a lesbian, but she was a working girl. Just for the sake of money. For yeah, money, yeah. Because she was an addict. So her family, she was from Wigan, and her family is a very, very well-known family in Wigan. Very well-respected surname, but she's fell off the wagon and she's addicted to heroin and crack. So... um she says to me, uh, I stand on this punter every weekend. Like, he likes me to stand on him. Trampling. Yeah, trampling. So I said, so we're all right then. So she said, he's infatuated with me. Yeah. He takes me to Marks and Spencers. I buy loads of clothes on a Saturday morning. He gives me 150 quid. I'm done by dinner time. Yeah. So I said to her, why don't you ask him for a, a, a big lump of money, a lump sum? So she's going, nah, he'll say no. He'll say no. So I said, no, nah, he wouldn't try it. So she phoned him and went, right, you've got an hour to bring me a thousand pound. I said, you're getting it, whatever she said to him. Right? 
you've got an hour to meet me at our spot with a thousand pound. And she sat there and she's gone, he's never going to turn up. I've lost him now, he's gone. I went, you mark my words, that man's going to turn up. She goes there, he's there with the money, drawing it out of the bank for her, right? So he ended up buying her a house. He bought her a house, he bought her a house. He started mortgaging a house for her in Wigan, all right? And this girl was a working girl, but she never used the house. We just used to go up there, smoke crack, and then leave and go all the way back to Manchester. She never even lived in the house. She just stayed there every now and again. So we'd come on a Saturday, get stamped on and whatnot. <laughs> on a Saturday As you morning. do. Yeah. He'd get stood on on a Saturday morning and he was happy <laughs> with that. And um, <laughs> he bought us a car off the Quality Street That's gang. a sweet deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're well, in the wrong game. Yeah. <laughs> so he started, giving, he started giving a good money. He started giving her good money all the time. So he lived that with his mum and he he worked for 20 years and he'd never had a... So was she off the streets then? Because she could just... She was a street girl by then. But because she had a house in Wigan, was she still on the streets and just staying there That's what I mean. Again? She never used a house in yeah. Wigan. We'd, just, we'd go up there literally every now and again, smoke crack in there. She had like one of those walking baths. She'd have a bath every now and again and then we'd be gone back to Moss Side and back to the street. We were just living street just life. Street life. Street life. Yeah. Even though we had this house. And um, um, my mum liked her. My mum liked her. You know, she was a nice girl. You know what I mean? My mum understood her because my mum had a really bad start to life as well. Like her first husband threw her down the stairs. That's why she adopted me. I found out later she'd lost a baby and he, she had to have all her insides taken out through being threw down the stairs. So she uh, clicked with this girl. Do you know what I mean? She knew that this girl was suffering and whatnot. So what happened with her is we, in my side, I'm stood on this street for months on end, serving up, like serving for people and just doing bits and buying my own drugs. We didn't know it was being filmed, okay? We didn't know the, the old street was being filmed. So in between that time, I'd smashed someone over the head with a big bronze garden furniture who chopped me with a machete on that street, right? So what happened was some guy would come to buy some drugs, had an argument with someone, and I got involved, and he chased me with a machete and hit me down my back, but just, like, hit me hard with it, didn't, you know, not the cutting motion, just, the, like, a heavy motion, didn't cut me, yeah. So I've run in the garden and I've picked up a big bronze garden furniture and I've whacked him up the head with it, right? And the police come really fast, like out the blue from nowhere. And in the back of my mind somewhere, that seed was built like, is this being filmed on this street? Because where did the police, how have they come so quick? You know what I mean? So then these lads said to us, so this guy says to me and one of my mates, I'm sure there's police in that house over there. So we go, why? So he goes, I see the workmen, I seen workmen going in there at six o'clock in the morning. So we said, it's police. So we said, we think so. So we've egged the windows, egged them. <laughs> For what reason? Right. And hope they come out. <laughs> egged them. So I was like, are you crazy? If it's the police, you've got to do more than that. Do you know what I mean? But because well, I'm just an addict, I just left it be. 
It's not my... They're the, they're the guys who run that street serving up. And they're telling me they think police is there. So I'm careful now. And right opposite, above the shop, is a crack house where we all smoke as well. So the, the police, if it is police, they are seeing everything all of the time. Do you know what I mean? So unbeknown to us, we're being filmed for nine months solid. So we get we get arrested twenty. Well, let me go back a bit anyway. Yeah, because you didn't get arrested at that time. No, let me go back, let me go back, because that's the arrest. So let me tell you about a little bit about Moss Side. So what <laughs> happened with the Moss Side was, some guy come to me, a gang member, and said, do you want to start serving up for me? So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll sell for you. So he said, don't take the piss, I'll so shoot you. And I know the guy's a shooter. Right, but I just, he's only saying it, he didn't really mean it. So I got the 10 white off him and I smoke him. So I see him a couple of days later and he says, Marv, what's going on, man? What have you done? You smoked at home and you took the piss, yeah? And I've said, oh, I'm sorry, bro. Fucking, it's the crack. I'm addicted to it. So he gives me 10 more and says to me, right, I want 130 quid back off these. It's 10, 20 pound stones. I said, I'm going to shoot you. So I go, all right, mate, sweet. I smoke them all again. Yeah. So I'm avoiding them a bit now. So... When I'm going to buy again, I'm kind of not going on that street where I think he is and whatnot, yeah? So it gets to the weekend about four days later. So my mate, I'm in town with my mate and he's just come to me with an handful of money. So he goes, Marv, do you want to jump in a jolt on my side? So we get a pirate taxi, harass the guy, he's not a real taxi driver. So do you want to take us taxi in? So we park up outside this club and my mate goes in and I'm in the car outside. And this guy sees me and goes, this lad goes, Marv, such and such is looking for you. He's in there, I'm going to go and get him now. And I thought, oh, no way, Marv, what did it comes mm. now, yeah? And I'm like this, no, he's caught me already. I've got no dough to give him, you know what I mean? I ain't got money. I'm going with someone else to score. If I had money, I'd have just... So he comes and he goes, Marv, come here, come here, come here, come here. So I go down this street, and this street is where one of the one of the youngest people to ever get killed in Moss Side was killed right near here. It was very close to that Benji Stanley murder. The young fourteen-year-old who got killed at the, so it was round that same street. So I'm stood there, and he goes, "Fucking talk the piss, you man!" And he pulls this big revolver out, long nose, massive thing, and blasts it like that. But he's got a He's got a brandy and coke in his hand, in his hand. So he blasts it like that. And he, as he's going lower, he blasts it again. And the second shot hits me. Right, so I see this big hole in my leg, this big hole in my trousers. Hmm. And like, see blood. I'm like, shit. But I didn't, I didn't feel this like crack of my leg go. So it's not at a bone, right? Luckily for me. So I've, I had to hobble back to the car. And my mate's just got in the car and I've gone, Gary, I've been shot. So he's gone, what? You've been shot? Who the fuck shot me? He's jumped out the car and started going, yeah, who the fuck shot him? By this time, all the gang members are out on the street. And these have all got guns. And I'm like, Gary, get in the car. They will shoot you, mate. Yeah, I'm like, get in. They're not just playing. They're just fucking shooters. So as he's got in the car, the taxi driver 
open it and just ran off. <laughs> <laughs> so we both sat in the back seat. He's going mad, like, hey, okay. And I'm like, fucking calm down, shut up, man. You know what I mean? Don't bring no more heat to the car, you know what I mean? Ooh. And what was the state of your leg looking like? Well, this is what I mean, like, so... so I'm like your dad. We jump in the car, he, he can drive, I can't drive very well, so he can drive, so we drive right into town, the MRI's on the way by, the hospital's on the way, bear in mind. We leave the hospital, like, oh, forget it, I'm like, sweet, it's up, I'll bandage you up like commando, this is what I'm thinking, because I'd watch Rambo films and he ties his arm after and he splits it open. And this is what I thought I could do, yeah? So we've gone down into this club, this dead well-known club in town, gone into the toilets, women's toilets, mind, and I've got my crack out and I'm smoking crack, and my heart's obviously pumping, the blood's pumping. So I'm stood there for about five or ten minutes. The lad who I was with, I don't know where he went. Gary, he must have just gone, like, give me a big piece. Like, he had money, bought me half a team, 40 pound worth of crack, and give me that, and just went, see in a bit, I'm gone. So I'm in this toilet smoking crack, and all of a sudden I hear this woman come in and go, ah, there's loads of blood on the floor. And I look down and think, shit, man. So I'm like, pool of blood been running down, seeping mm. into this, like, grid in the toilets. So I knew one of the doormen. So he says to me, Marf, you've got to go to hospital, you know, you can't be like that, let me take you to a and &E. I'm sweet, and he's like, nah, mate, you've been shot, man, you know what I mean, you don't know what's going on. So I go, all right, then, take us to A&E, and he's put a black bag in his car, and I'm like that on the way, you've got 20 quid for us for when they get out, so I can buy some crap. <laughs> it's all I'm thinking about me. So the police have come, said to me, what happened? I went, I don't know, I was walking down the Mancunian Way, and I just got blasted. You know, I didn't really, obviously, it's not for me to say, is it? So um, he, he phones me up, like my cousin comes, in inverted commas, he's my cousin, he's not a real cousin, but he's my cousin. So he's dead now. He comes, David comes, and, he, and the kid phones him. And um, he says, oh, I didn't mean to do that. I was just pissed, you know what I mean? I'm pissed at him as well, you know, for doing that to me sort of thing. So he said, I didn't really mean it. You know, I'm not going to kill him out, you know what I mean? And he's not going to kill me and whatnot. So I'm like, oh, that's okay then, you know what I mean? So I get discharged and I go start doing robberies on my crutches in the city centre. <laughs> I'm doing robberies with working girls because this girl said to me, I don't like doing punters. So I said, you don't have to. All you need to do is undo the buckle, put the pants around the ankles, and then when they've got round their ankles, I'll come round and pretend to be police with crutches. Yeah, I'll like, <laughs> stay still, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, anyway, I got, we get money and we go back to my side and it, like I get a sorry and all that and it won't happen, you know what I mean? He's sorry for doing that. He didn't mean to shoot me, you know what I mean? But I took the piss, you know what I mean? Which I did do, you know what I mean? I, I knew him for a long time, so like he didn't really want to shoot me, but he shot me for taking the piss. Shooting you squashed the debt? It did, yeah, because I never paid him after that. I didn't pay him. paid him before that. I never mm. paid him, no, yeah. I never really squashed the debt. But, yeah, we started... Me and this guy started doing robberies on the estate. We're in my side and we're living the mad life. We're living, like, uh, moment to moment, you know. I started opening the houses. Then they had... Drug dealers who'd made money, who bought houses in my side, and they wanted them doing up. So they quickly realised that I was breaking into houses, and it's full of 
full of all the fittings and fixtures and the bath, everything's new. So I could open a house, an empty house, and get it cleared of the plugs, the switches, the light fittings, the plugs, everything would be gone. So one person would be robbing off another person to just do up an house. It was just, you know. So one, I'd burgle one house to get into it, to clear it. And then one of the lads had phoned me, give me £100 for all the fittings of the house and go and do his house up three doors down. And that's how it got to, you know what I mean? So there was one guy who was who bought loads of houses in, I'm talking when it was houses with 3,500 quid and 5,000 for a burnt out house in Moss Side. Dirt cheap. Like you could buy houses for like 10 grand and stuff, really, really cheap. And um, he was buying them up, buying them up and buying them up and buying them up. And then he got to the point where he didn't need to sell drugs anymore because he was a landlord all of a sudden, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah? So I had them phoning me and saying, Marv, have you, do you know any houses to get into so I'd be like sure I'm going to find one now for you do you know what I mean so my day's time was Tracy would be in town I'd be looking for grafting Moss side she'd be in town making some money then we'd meet up together put our money together and go and smoke crack she'd smoke heroin yeah but she was secretly injecting heroin into her hand and I didn't know and I found out later on into our relationship, like I'd found those little square white things, you know what they clean up with, like tissues, like square things. I kept finding them. And I said to her, are you digging you? Because I'd, I'd been scared of needles all my life, thank God. You know what I mean? I was scared of needles. So I said to her, are you digging you? And she went, no, no, no. And then later on, she admitted it. She said, yeah, I, I have a dig of smack, right? So, and she was digging in her hand. Yeah, at first she started digging in her hand and that was all well and good. But then she started, couldn't find a vein in her hand. Then she started going into her body. Then she started going into her groin. She had a hole in her groin, like a real hole in her groin. What she'd use to put needles in and find it. And sometimes she'd nick her main vein and be spewing blood. Blood would be pumping out of her. And she'd be covered in blood with a needle in her hand, yeah? Just dripping in blood, like it was a massacre. And she'd just been looking for a vein in her body. And I'd say to her, Tracy, you can't do that. You've got to stop this. This is just going, this is getting out of hand, you know what I mean? So um, she's still working the beat her ass off, doing all sorts of stuff. And she's got this sugar daddy as well. So he buys us a car. I said to her, ask him to buy you a car. You've got a driving license. We need a car to get about in, okay? So we, first, we bought this car for about 300 quid. And I've parked it up near Minsell Street, Crown Court. And I keep catch two lads in the car trying to hotwire it. And I'm enraged. I can't believe the audacity of someone to break into my car. Yeah. So I'm like, what are you doing in my car? The passenger smoked off, but I've caught the driver. And I've got a screwdriver on, and I'm like, what are you doing in my car? Like, And I'm going mad at him, yeah. And he ended up nicking his trainers off him. 
and making him run off <laughs> and I threw him in the canal. That was his punishment for breaking in the hot wire in my car. So what had happened was I went to prison and Ian Brown out the um, the, the, the Stone Roses, Ian Brown comes in, comes on the wing. So he moves next to me in a, in a cell and he's such a cool guy, yeah. And everyone's saying to him, oh, I bet you've took loads of drugs. And he's like, nah, mate, I don't touch drugs. I only take mescaline, like Mexican peyote things, yeah. He's saying, I don't touch drugs. But what he's doing is he don't want people to get a story on him because he's front page news at the time. Like, he's all over the news that he's gone to prison. Like, it's the headlines. So, my mate, who was a house burglar and was in house burglary, convinced him that he was innocent, all right? So, one time Ian was getting transferred... Yeah, he come out of strange ways uh, with a plaque saying, I see he's innocent. Because <laughs> my mate had convinced him that he was innocent. And we were like, hey, you're not innocent, I see. I know. You know what I mean? That's how cool the guy was. He'd wrote it on a piece of cardboard, I think. Mm. But while he was in custody, um, we had a really, he was a really nice lad. And uh, I remember someone, wanted, someone said, let's swill him. And I'm like, you can't do that. He's one of the Manchester pioneers of our music. You can't start throwing up water on him just for clout, you know what I mean? <laughs> Literally, he, he wrote, he, in, in Ian Brown's book, apparently, he wrote a book and he's got a few chapters about strange ways in it. And he watched this fight one day on the server and this fight was just the craziest fight, one of the craziest fights I've ever seen. So there was a six foot eight man and another six foot eight man, both giants. One was a big ball, 20 stone, like a big, be like a biker fella. And the other one was like a gangster, like a street guy, yeah? But he was a bully, this guy. He was called Reds, because right? he was a light skin. He had these green eyes. But everyone everyone called him a bully because he was six foot eight. And he'd go in your pad and he'd nick your food and he'd be like taking bits off you, yeah? And this guy was on the... This, Ian Brown was there at the time. We watched it. I was stood next to him watching this fight. So what had happened is they started arguing... This big biker guy was on the server and this reds and they're barking at each other. What you were? And then they start throwing punches. But one of them's got um, snooker balls in a sock in a, in a pillowcase and whacks the guy, the, the biker, whacks the gangster with the pillowcase, with the snooker balls in it, right? Smashes him over the head. And this big... Guy, Reds, he's on the floor going, I can't see, I can't hear anything. That's all he's screaming, right? They've had this big, massive fight, like these two big giants of them. And it was like, I was like, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And Ian's like, yeah, this is madness, yes. So, so, so Ian, like, was, because he's only tiny, he's only tiny, he's only a tiny man. So we watched this that night anyway, and the next day, so we're talking and stuff like that, and he's saying, like, he's got young boys, he's got two boys, and um, he's missing them and all that lot. And he was writing on his bed. So he used to sit, he used to strip his bed back, take all the bedding off and fold it up and put it at the end of his bed and sit on his mattress. 
And on his mattress, it had this white cover on it of material, and he started writing on it and doing pictures, doodles, all right? And I watched him doing it. So I said, Ian, keep doing that, and before you go, because I think he was either getting released or transferred, I said, before you go, I'll have that off you. So over the days, I'm watching him doodle this doodle, and I'm thinking, wow, this is getting great, yeah? The mo- he wrote me a song as well on A2 paper about prison, give me that because we got on a little bit. And then the morning he was leaving, he cut it out for me himself off his bed, got a blade and cut it out and went, yeah, Marv. And he's given me this thing with all New York skyline on it and lizards and lotuses and flowers and it's all stuff what he sings about in his song, all right? The reason I'm talking about that is because I'm talking about this car, what I had. So when I got out of prison, I've got this thing and I'm showing at everyone, going, check this out, I've got Ian Brown stuff, it's worth a fortune. And we leave it in this car and I've got it in the back of the car. And we go to buy crack one day. We had the car a week, maybe. I go to buy crack, come back out and the car's been taken. The police have took the car. So the Ian Brown stuff, what I had was in the back of this car, never to be seen again. Oh, yeah, I was so deviled. You haven't seen it knocking about a movie. It'd be worth a fortune oh. now. I always think about it as well, but I've seen Ian as well in Manchester City Centre and like he's, he remembers me and we have a good talk, you know what I mean? And he's a really nice fella. But yeah, Ian Brown was was the man, yeah. Uh, so yeah, was with Tracy then. We've got this house, we, we get this car off this punter and when we were running out of money, I remember she bought, she, he paid 9500 for the car. So we go back to the, the fellas who we bought the car off and it's a car showroom but it's run by the Quality Street Gang which is old school gangsters, yeah? And they're not to be messed with, you know what I mean? Don't matter how old they are, they're well-respected men. So we go back with the car. He gives her a thousand pound and a six thousand five hundred pound car, right? So she parks and gets a grand because we're skint, yeah. And this car breaks down, so she goes, "I'm not, I'm not having this. I'm taking it back." Us not put oil in it or something, right? <laughs> so we go back to the car showroom, and she's jumped out the car with a big loud mouth, going, "I want my money back." I want my money back. And the guy's going, I'm sorry, love, you can't have it. And she's going, what, what, what? And he just picks her up by her throat, throws her over the bonnet and goes, slams off the bonnet and goes, stop doing that. Don't ask me for the money back again. <laughs> Proper lifted up, just grabbed her by her throat and just went bang on the car. And she's gone to me, are you going to do something? I go, I'm fucking not going to do anything. I can't do now. What do you want to do? Beat him up or get myself killed off this quality street firm. So we just had to leave it. We're driving around in this shed of a car. So the next thing, she says to me, I says to her, has he never bought you any jewellery or anything? So she goes, nah, nah. So I said, why don't you get engaged to him by getting a diamond engagement ring? So this is our next thing. So on Oldham Street, there's a jeweller's and it's got seven diamond rings on it on a, on a mount. And all the rings are one stone stones and it was there for ages. It's not, it's a pub now, the place. I'll never forget it. There's these seven rings on a mount and they're all one stones and they're all 3,000, 3,500, proper big prices. So he's going, he's coming down to buy a ring this Saturday afternoon. So we go in first to the jewellers and we say, right, listen, mate, she's got a punter buying her a ring, yeah? 
We're going to buy one of them big stone rings. Can we buy the mount? Can we sell you the diamond and buy the mount? Right? So he says, right. Here's what I'll do for you. I'll put a fake stone in it and, t- and charge you 500 quid. That's all. I thought he was going to say what he'd have the money or something. He just went, I'll put a fake stone in the mount and I'll give, sell you the same mount. So what she did, she bought the ring off for three and a half thousand pound. We went back, sold him the ring, the diamond. So she's got a 500 pound ring on now and she's showing it to the punter as if it's real, as if it's a real diamond. Yeah, so we've got the three thousand pound of the shop, and we smoked it. And then it comes to the ring. Then she sells the ring to a, a drug dealer in Moss Side as a real diamond because it says a diamond on the mount inside. Yeah, so it says diamond on it. It caused us pure shit because he sold it as a diamond. I think she took about a thousand five hundred off him, but I wasn't there. And he went looking for her for weeks. He was like, where's that girl that you was with? She sold me a diamond ring. Didn't have a real diamond in it. (gasps) Oh, my God. Like, yeah, really heavy, heavy situation she left us in. What happened to her at the end of this is she got a job in McDonald's as a manager and got caught injecting in the toilets. She made it to manager and got caught injecting in the toilets and got sacked. So she still had a net. I only found out later on afterwards what had happened to her, and that's the story I got back. Yeah, she was working in McDonald's and she made it up to management, and she got sat for injecting in the toilet. She fell asleep in the toilets with a needle in her arm. Mm. Yeah, so that that habit must have stayed with her a while, and it. But thankfully for me, I never touched needles. I was scared to death of them. Do you know what I mean? I'd seen what how quickly they destroy people. So needles was something what I never ever mess with. Thank God, but. Um, the crack addiction was just, it was out of control. It was, we could go into the city centre. It was very easy to make money to get more crack. There was nothing stopping us buying it. So we'd be on the student area selling fake pills. Like and someone had come up to you and our fake Coke or something or nothing, anything fake, you know what I mean? And it was like we were selling snides and stuff like that. That wasn't really me though. It not, I didn't really like doing the fakes to people on the Studentville. So there was certain teams who used to go and just sell fakes all night on a Saturday and just make the fortunes off there and then come to my side and would smoke in a crack house. And um, I'm under, we're under OBS. This is, uh, we're under OBS for nine, between nine and 12 months. I think it was nine months we was under operation for. When we all got arrested, they said we was estimated to be making 1.3 million pound off this street alone. That's what they had estimated when they nicked the 26 of us. But what had happened was is, like, did I tell you about we getting pulled out, we were school dragging people out of the cars on the Pepper Hill? No. You said about pulling, it, pulling them out before the gang members could sell to them. So here's what happened with this. So me and this guy, yeah, that was it, because why, why I veered off is because he got lifed off for stabbing a student, didn't he? But why I, why I was talking about this is what happened was is, We'd done a few of them, took money off people. One Saturday morning, I'm stood on Moss Lane East and a car comes past me and it's got a gang member in it off this gang. And he goes, Marv, get in the car. We've come to a bit of a dilemma. So he says, right. He said, the main man off the estate wants to see you because you've been robbing the punters, you and your mate, right? 
So I'm shitting it, thinking, oh, my God, this is it. Now we're going to get... So I said, I'm going to get shot. And he goes, nah, you're not going to get shot. I guarantee you won't get shot if you go and front it, yeah? So he said, where are you living? So at the time, I was living in Wivenshaw. So he said, I'll take you to Wivenshaw, but if you come back to my side, you're going to get chased like a rabbit near the foxes, right, a fox, right? This is how he... This was the analogy he gave me. He said, you'd be like a rabbit being chased off a fox, yeah? Come and front it now. I'll never forget it. So he drove, he drove me round onto the estate and there's loads of boys all stood there, all with black masks on. And I know him, I can see people there. But one of them was a closet crack smoker. He used to smoke crack, crack at the night time. He'd come to us and say, do, have you got anywhere to smoke? Oh, I'd be sick with him. He'd say, if you ever tell anyone I'm smoking crack, I'll kill you, I swear to God, because he was a closet crackhead. But he was a gang member. And if they would have found out he was smoking crack, they would have levered him and fucked him off, yeah? So I've seen him there as well. So I've gone up to this guy and I'm going, I'm sorry, mate. No, on the way to the car, though, the guy had said to me, the gang member's just been shot in his head, right? He's got a massive scar on his head, yeah? He's just come out of hospital for being shot in the head. So you can't hit him. If you hit him back, you're going to get shot and fucked. You're going to have to take whatever's coming to you. So I said, all right, then this is in the car on the way around. So we get out. All these guys stood there. I get out of the car, I go, oh, mate, I'm so sorry. He goes, I'm fucking sorry. He starts punching me in the face and he's got an English bull with a long nose, a white English bull. English bull terrier, horrible dogs they are. They're so vicious, Yeah. And I believe it had been stolen out of a scrapyard, so it was like a monster dog. And he starts hitting me and putting this dog onto me, and this dog starts chewing at my legs. And his son, who's now a gang member and a rapper, well-known rapper, starts smashing me on the head with a bottle, trying to break a Lucasade bottle on my head, while this dog's chewing me. And he's... And he's his old man's chewing, his old man's smacking me, smacking me, yeah? So I've got father and son smacking me and I've got a dog chewing my legs and just ripping into my legs, just ragging me everywhere. I've got scars from the top of my legs to my bottom of my legs, yeah? And it's getting near me groin, mm. but I can't feel the pain because I'm on crack. So I'm, I'm saying to myself, Marv, you're going to have to start screaming because if you don't, it's going to carry on. So I start going, ah! Ah, sorry, sorry, ah, sorry, ah. Screaming. <laughs> but I can't feel the pain, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a weird one, yeah? <laughs> I couldn't feel the pain. Like, I'm waiting for pain and I can't feel it. So. Did that deter the dog, the screaming? No, it just made it worse. The dog even, <laughs> I'm sure the dog even bit him as well. I can <laughs> swear I remember that dog turning on him as well. So after this all happened to me, um, I'm starting to try and walk away. My legs feel like they're going to blow up because they're all ripped and torn. Mm. And I turn round and try to apologise again. And don't know why I did it because he started on me again. He's like, what? I've just fucking told you, fuck off. And he's oh, smacking shit. me again. Sorry. And he's hitting me again, punching me both hands, smacking me, yeah. And I'm having to take it because all these guys are there, you know what I mean? And his son's around me again. And he's got to tell you, fuck off. And he's pushed me like that. And he's pushed me outside. So I've started walking at his avenue. And he's put the dog on me there. And he's gone like that to the dog. Get him. 
And I'm just getting out of the avenue, going down this entry, and he's put the dog on me. So the dog starts chasing me. But one of these guys, because I try to start running, one of these guys has ran after the dog. But he's the closet crack smoker. So he's chased after the dog, and he knew the dog's name, and he's got the dog, saved me from the dog again, because I couldn't get away from it. I was caught. The dog was going to chew me alive. You know, because it's already got my scent and it. It wanted me, it's been told to eat me again. And he got hold of the dog like that and he's held the dog onto his skin. And he's gone, my fuck off, quick, go, go. Go to the hospital. And I fucked off and I just, I didn't even go to the hospital. I just sat in the house smoking crack to deal with the pain. And that's how I dealt with it. I never went to hospital for it. I've got scars up here, down here, across my legs, off the dog. Proper oh. chewed me, didn't it? So deep, them scars as well. How very, did you very to heal? deep scars. It took weeks to heal. I was just walking around with pain and, you know, injured, like limping and all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? It was like limping and stuff. So I stayed, I went to Wivenshaw for a bit then because I couldn't handle my side. It was getting a bit too hot for me. So I'm chilling at my mate's house. I'll go up there for a few days. I go back to Moss Side after about four days and I'm stood on Claremont Road. And about five o'clock in the afternoon, I see this Lexus go past me. Whoosh, a gold Lexus. And it's all gang members of that state. And they're all looking at me like that. Yeah, so the car goes round, takes a first left, does a left again, does a left, comes round. The back door opens, I say, a young guy jump out with his back to me and he pulls a long, long barrel shotgun out, slides out of the back, puts it down to the floor like that, comes to run over the road because what he's going to do, he's just going to swing it right at me. But the guy who was next to me, when the car went past first, he said, Marv, get off. They're going to shoot you them. That's what they're there for. And I'm, it's like I was stuck, frozen fear. I was like, froze. I, didn't, I was like, my legs was like, I thought, shit. And... As he's put the, pull the gun out like that to put it down, to spin round, i seen his head come. The community police officer who knowed us all was just doing his beat walking down the road, Claremont Road, but just like with his head in the air. And I've looked, as I've seen this gun, I've looked at the, the copper and he's looked at me and looked at my eye line and seen the copper and put the gun back down like that and ran round the corner. And I thought, shit. And this guy said to me, man, fucking go, man. These guys are on you, right? So I didn't go. I didn't go. I stayed there because it was my crap money. I couldn't make money anywhere else. I was there. It was where I was making money. About 20 minutes later, the guys come with his dog and another dog. And he's walking like this and he's, he had two matching bracelets or one big massive bracelet and a big massive chain. And the guy's got a really, really dark face, yeah. And as you can see, he's a little bit of a red, red of his lip. Really dark man, he is, dark skinned man. Very intimidating. And he walked towards me like this with these dogs and all these guys behind me. <laughs> fucking hell. Not and he's one. gone, he's mm. gone, Marv, come here, want you? And he's took me around the back of the finger and he's gone to me, what are you fucking doing robbing my shots and all that? And I went, I'm so sorry. I just was making money. 
you know what I mean? I'm just doing mad, isn't that? You know how it is. He went, get off the fucking crap, man, and start working for me. You could start doing things for me. But I'll tell you what, though, you are brave for staying here and not running. I couldn't run, I was froze to the spot. I was like, fucking hell, I couldn't run it for tribe, do you know what I mean? Because yeah, the, like, the, cuts, the cuts and everything was killing me. I was like, froze anyway. And he went, yeah. And I went, I'm so sorry. And he went, right, sweet, yeah. And then his son, in the end, over the months, turned into a good friend of mine, do you know what I mean? Uh, turned into a good... Even though he was doing his own stuff, like, these guys was, like, uh, at war with gangs. There was a gang war going on. So everyone was armed. He was armed. Young men, armed, looking to shoot other men, you know what I mean? And it was a terrible situation because it was friends and associates shooting friends and associates and family, even. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I was I was living once in, in a crack house with a friend uh, and his brother was a, a gang member. So we all used to use his house to smoke cracking because this guy wasn't 100% mentally, okay? Like he worked with the mental health teams and stuff. I think he had a bit of psychosis, but he smoked crack. So we used to use his house to smoke cracking. And this was a road, a very notorious road, what we used to smoke in. And one day my mate called George had an argument with someone, with a girl in the shop, just a daft argument. But the girl, her stepbrother was a killer. Yeah, he was a shooter, deep in the gangs. And she had this argument and she threatened him. She said, I'm going to get you fucking in there. And a couple of days later, the guy was dead. He got killed, just mm. blasted and dead. Yeah, found at the end of the street where we lived dead next to a tree got shot in the head do you know what I mean no one ever got convicted for it so I don't know who it was but I know he had an he had an argument with this girl like a couple of days before and she threatened him and it was just happened so it was very close to everyone do you know what I mean the guns and so I'm I'm having to commit crimes getting people's cars on the estate and literally if I get into the wrong car and it's a gunman's car I'm getting it do you know what I mean I'm getting it so I'm in a car one day searching a, a glove box and I just get start getting rabbit punched in the side of my head as hard as he can. Some guy's punching me head, bang, 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 bang. What are you doing in my fucking car? I'm like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm just trying to make a few quid for crap. You know, I have to tell him straight. He just went, go on, fuck off, you know what I mean? So it was a really hard life to survive every day. You know what I'm saying? Every day I was having to do something. I was standing on someone's toes. I was clearing someone's car out. I was robbing someone's stuff. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't a very nice life at all. It was a horrible life, do you know? I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, being addicted to a bit of crack. You know what I mean? Um, my addiction was just so powerful. Um, I'd go to jail and I'd be in the jail and look like... Uh, one of the lads would start saying to me, do you want to do a bit of work for me and whatnot? And so I'd start, like, serving up for something for somebody. And then someone had not paid a bill and then I'd have to go and do a hit on someone who I know. Do you know what I mean? I've got a, And the guy's saying, fucking go and smack his head in. He's sort of the pace. He owes me 200 quid, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'd have to go and say, look, mate, there's a hit on you, you know what I mean? And you're just going to have to get it. Bang! And I'll smack him over the eye. So it's over. I'd say, it's over now, you know what I mean? Just all blood and that. The guy's seen it, what he wanted and it's done. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't give him a warning. I'd just say, like, you, you, there's a hit on you and just smack him dead quick. You know, just to draw the blood. Because I knew if you hit him over the eye here, you, you pop it, there's a little bone there, but you just pop dead easy. 
you know. So if someone said they wanted to see blood, I'd have to like go and do it on someone. Do you know what I mean? And it sometimes it'd get off completely out of hand, and we'd have to go really out, really like left field. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like someone had come on the wing who's an informer who's got someone jail, and like then it'd have to be go really not. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's a lot of situations like that are happening on the wings, and. I'm not proud of them, no. It's not very nice, do you know what I mean? Having to do things what was necessary. I mean, once... I, It's just, just not nice. Not nice to do, do you know what I'm saying? Not nice. But, like, surviving in prison and, in, and on crack, these things, what you're going to do, what you really don't want to, do you know what I'm saying? That's just part of the course. And even if someone does submit to you, you can't name them. It's just impossible. You know, I've had so many things happen to me in my life and I've never identified anyone, I've never named anybody. Do you know what I mean? As a prolific thief and criminal, as I was, I was committing crimes every single day, getting arrested nearly every other day. Every three, four days I was getting arrested. I would make thousands of statements to the police all day long. People who say, yeah, don't speak to them, don't say nothing to me, go, no, they're the ones who are lifed off. People who say, I go no comment, me straight away. They're the ones who are lifed off. Because here's the thing. If you go no comment, when you go to court, that means you're guilty. That means you pled. That's what it means, doesn't it, Sean? Mm. If you go no comment, that means whatever they're accusing you of, you've done. You had ample opportunity at the police station to say what you, your excuse. It's too late at court giving your excuse. All you're doing is going guilty and giving mitigating circumstances. That's what it comes down to. So me, I'd be caught, banged to rights on a camera, committing a crime, and I'd still deny it. I'd be like, it wasn't me. That's not me. It just looks like me. These pure guys who look like me in downtown. And I'd just spiel it and spiel it and spiel it. Sometimes I wouldn't get charged. Sometimes I'd be charged and banged to rights. Sometimes I'd just deny it. Just deny, 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 deny. Tell lie, tell lie, tell lie, tell lie. Do you know what I mean? To get off with the crime. Yeah. So people who say, I don't know, come at anything. That means you just pleading guilty all the time you're just silly it doesn't make no sense at all that when i hear people say that i just laugh and think you've never been a criminal you don't know what being criminality is you know what i mean like i had to have like a an half decent relationship with the police because they're pulling me all the time and they're like marv fucking hell i'd crap pipe again i could knit you for the residue on this i'm like give me a break give me a break you know what I mean? He's like, this crack on this. I'd be like, come on, officer, fucking hell. He'd be like, get that fucking crack pipe back. It would happen all the time. I'd be getting squeezes. Obviously, they want to arrest me. If I'm committing a crime, I'm nicked. Without a shadow of a doubt, and I'm being punished. Do you know what I mean? But at the same time, I'd have a, I'd be t- speaking to them civilly. I wouldn't be, fuck the party, anti-police. I wouldn't have that mindset because I'd think it's cops and robbers' mindset. The cops chase the robbers, they catch cops, fair cop, gov. That's how I'd look at it. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't be like thinking, ah, oh, I'm kicking off and fighting. Obviously, if I get caught with my crack and I'm, I'm assaulting a police officer, which has happened to me in the past, I mean, I got caught with a police officer pulled me one day, just a random search, and I had a piece of crack on me, and he's pulled the phone out what I had and went, this is a stolen phone. I suspect this is a stolen phone. I'm detaining you until I find out whose phone this is accused me of stealing this phone and I've got a piece of crack in my hand and I fought for my crack. He's trying to peel my hand open and I'm going, no! And I'm trying to grab him and he, uh, he got me arrested for biting him, didn't he? For his 
fucking stab vest. You said I bit him through a stab vest, but I couldn't have. But he did. That's what he said. <laughs> so I got convicted for assaulting that was the when, police um, officer. BB phones first come out because that's how oh. I found out the video was circulating. Yeah, the video circulated phone. everywhere. So like, there had been times when I would have to deal with the police in whichever way it had come to me. You know what I mean? So like, people who say they don't talk to police, they're just they've never been a criminal. I mean, I got. I was that prolific. The police done a report on me in uh, a Crasbo and said for 10 years, this police, I'm synonymous with crime in the city centre. For 10 years, he's heard my name. It's synonymous with crime in the city centre and, and North Manchester as well. Uh, so I had uh, police teams on me. Every time I'd come out of custody, I'd have this intensive police on me and they'd be... I'd have me under surveillance or they'd be trying to arrest me or they'd find something to arrest me for. But I was just still in the streets, like, uh, with the working girls and stuff. One day, a working girl's come up to me with a big, massive bunch of keys and she's gone, Marv, I've just robbed these keys out of the Arthur's yard and it's one of the quality street. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What have you picked up these keys for? She said, I don't know, I've just seen the keys and I just picked them up. I said, you fucking, you're going to, he's going to rip your fucking head off, you guy, you can't do that. I had to get the keys and I had to go back and I said, look, she took him just off a willy-nilly mad one and he went, right, man, thanks for bringing him back, give me 40 quid. I'm in his, I'm in his yard one day and he's on his phone and I've got jewellery to sell him. And he's on his phone, he's got one minute and the guy who sat there in a big sheepskin coat, big massive sheepskin, He's gone, what have you got, lad? And I've gone, you can't afford it. Oh, it was a wrong thing to say. Because this guy went, you what? Stood up like that. Arthur put his phone down straight away. He went, ring your back. I thought, what's going to happen here? And he went, don't you ever estimate anybody, you. And he opened his jacket and had a toilet roll of £50 notes, brand new, like in bundle bands round him, all like that. And he's pulled it out and put it on the table. And you know, my first thought was to grab it and run. And Arthur went straight away. He went, don't you dare grab that money. He seen what I was going to do. He went, you will get killed for it, Marv. Don't touch it. <laughs> straight away. Because I was just, my first thought was to just grab it and run. Because like, you know what I mean? It's like money, the toilet roll, massive. So he, he went, I'm buying whatever you've got. Don't worry about it. Anyway, this fella said, don't you ever underestimate anybody again. Don't you assume that people can't like give me some lecture on like the morals of like having money and whatnot? <laughs> a nice big toilet roll, my God! But yeah, it was a hard, hard, hard existence every day trying to earn a few bob to feed this addiction. Do you know what I mean? And I'm surrounded with people who are addicts, so there's no nothing to try and get me off it. I've got no reason to stop it. I'm enjoying it. You know, I loved crack, yeah. I was in love with crack, like I'll say, I was married to the pipe. Who was it that caught you and started screaming at you? What had happened, my baby's mum, when I very first started smoking, like I say, she moved out because she got pregnant, she went to live with her mum, she wanted her mum to look after her, which a lot of women do get support off the mum. So the flat's there, and I'm smoking crack in the flat, and she's coming. And she's gone, you're going to be a crackhead. What the fuck are you doing? You're smoking crack. Do you know what that is? And I'm like, 
it's sweet, it's nothing, and she's got it all and pushed it all off onto the floor and started standing all over it, going, You're gonna be a crackhead, you're gonna be a crackhead. And I just think in the back of my mind, I am, she's right. Do you know what I mean? Every spare bit of money what I had, I was smoking it on crack. I was I got addicted to fruit machines. The crack got me off that addiction. I would rather smoke crack than put the money in the fruit machine. So you know how some people are addicted to gambling? Mm. The crack got me off my gambling addiction because I didn't want to put a bean in a fruit machine while I was addicted to crack. Do you know what I mean? But um, before the crack, what was funny is, when I used to sell whiz, this guy, I bought a big bag of whiz off him, a weight of whiz, like an ounce of whiz one day. And there was all these little squares in it of like a clear drug squares I now know it to be crystal meth but at the time I didn't know what it was it was just in the whiz and there was all these little sparkles in it and I'm pulling them out I separated them all and because I didn't really snort anything I used to smoke things I put it in a joint and had a few drags of this and it just hit my brain like it was real nice I was like wow this is real nice I didn't know you could smoke drugs and you'd get this feel off him and then about six or seven months later is when I first started crack, and then I realised in the very close crystal meth and crack cocaine, they're quite close if you smoke them, do you know what I mean? Like, so I'd uh, realised that I was going to be a crackhead straight away, do you know? And my family, my dad disowned me, had nothing to do with me. My mum used to come and visit me, when I was locked up. Um, but he wouldn't speak to me over it. And she'd say, you're going to get out now and you're going to be clean and stuff. And I'd be like, yeah, I promise you I'm going to be clean. And I wouldn't get clean. I'd just go and do the same thing again. And um, I went down to... I went started going in jails all over the country. And she phoned... I phoned my mum one day and she says, I'm dying, son. I'm dying. She said, I've got this cancer in my throat. It's killing me. And I'm going to be dead any day. I'm like, what? Because like, I'd been in out of jail, not seen it, not seen it coming. She's like, I'm dying. I've got my, half my throat's been cut out. So uh, she died on November the 6th, one day. And when I'm on my way to my, the funeral... This kid from Salford who got shot in Spain last year or the year before, he come to me and went, Marv, do you want to get some weed on you off, off the funeral? So I said, yeah, sweet. Drop some weed off. So I'm going to my mum's funeral to go and pick a drug parcel up, yeah? So he dropped a big parcel of weed at my sister's house. So I go to my mum's funeral and um, my sister passed me this big, ball of weed like she'd been and had her fingers in it and not even wrapped it up proper so it was stinking and these officers in this minivan they didn't even ask me for it I was in a prison going back to a prison they didn't even mention it to me they just started talking to me it was normal like they couldn't smell it it was stinking I could smell it myself it was a big parcel like that and when I got into the prison compounds they just went go on get going yeah. and just ran me off you know just let me sort my head out type thing um, yeah, so I had to digest going to my mum's funeral in handcuffs and everything, you know. It was very nice, cuffed up on a chain and all that. You know, you're like an animal, aren't you? Um, that was a really difficult time, but I still didn't get off the crack. It still never stopped me. 
Never Why stopped. Why was you then still in Mossad? I was still in and out of Mossad, yeah. Yeah. Still in and out of Mossad, just doing mad stuff every day. Um, getting into houses. I mean, I'd done... I, I gone up to some guy one day and I've got a full big pair of binoculars on me, round my neck. I'm trying to sell them and no one wants to buy them. Right. And this guy's come up to me and went, can you get me, can you get us some crap? So I've gone, yeah, yeah, come on, give us your money. I've started walking him down this entry and he's realised I'm going to rob him, right? So he's gone, nah, mate, don't rob me. So I went, give us your fucking money. So we went, no, no, you're not having it. And as he's saying that, a police car went past dead slow. Was you still under surveillance? I don't know. I had a, I had a full-length machete on me, right? And here's what happened. I've ran, and I've ran at the back of the Claremont pub, and I'm being chased. There's cars, and you can hear the car sirens. the police are coming. And I've ran down this entry, and I've jumped like that, and I've just threw the blade in, in the garden. And the cop is on me. Seconds, milliseconds later, he's seen me falling back from this gate. So he's grabbed me and all these police have come and this guy don't want to press charges, right? So they've got me, the PNC me and all that. And they went, what did you put in that garden? I went, nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm thinking, oh my God, here we go, prints on the blade, everything. So he's got his hands and he's looked over the fence like that. And he just jumped back down and I thought, weird. I've just dropped a machete in that garden. Where is it? So the PNC'd me, let me go. So I went back, booted the back fence open. The blade, I, I threw it, it landed it with the handle first in the mud and just the blade was up dead straight like that. So looking at it straight on, you would just see nothing. Wow. Just like a blade of grass. How lucky was that? Yeah. I thought that was really lucky. Yeah. I had like the gods protecting me. I was like, wow. You know what I mean? I felt really lucky that day, yes. So... I was going to prison for crime after crime after crime and I'm getting out of prison and I'm going back to prison and it, I wasn't living a good life at all. And um, I'm doing all sorts in, in prison as well for people. I'm picking parcels up, like these parcels coming over the wall, big, massive parcels. So someone would say to me, Marv, there's a parcel coming over at two o'clock. Get your firm ready. There's a big shout, I'll wait at my window so you can throw it straight in a window. So we'd have a dummy parcel to do dummy runs. So I'd make a dummy parcel up, brown tape and all that, make it look like a real parcel. So as soon as the parcels hit us, I'd switch it straight away, bang. Fake parcel. The real parcel would go somewhere else and the fake parcel would be the one what the screws are chasing. And then they'll be the catching thing, they've got it and they'd be dropping it. Like pass the parcel, be nothing in it. <laughs> Leave it empty. <laughs> Put two eggs in it or something for them. Yeah, but it was it was getting to the point where, like, I was getting sick of crack. It was, it was I wasn't happy smoking crack. I'm living in this crack house, and this gang member comes to me with another guy, and he's gun butting him, and he's saying to him, "Where's the guns?" And he's smacking him with the back of his gun, going, where's the guns? And this guy's got a stammer. Everyone will know who he is, I'll say that. He's got a stammer. And this guy's whacking him, going, where's the guns? And this guy's going, and he can't get his words out proper, right? So he's getting being gun-butted. But I've got these 
these guns, these replicas, yeah? Well, let's just say the replicas, right? So I've got these two guns. So the guy brings him into my house and I go, there's the ones I've got. These are not yours, yeah? So then it's got to the point where I'm doing, I'm going a bit too far, like um, I'm smoking crack with people and I'm pulling weapons out and stuff. You know, my crack's getting, sending me psycho, do you know what I mean? I'm getting paranoia and I'm getting, like, all these feelings of, like, insecurity where I am and stuff like that. I mean, I got this gold chain once and these gang members come over and come over and went, give us that chain. And luckily, his brother was a guy who was buying crack off at the time and I phoned him and went, nah, you can't take my chain. I phoned his brother and went, yo, yo, so your brother's just took a chain off. Nah, nah, give it him back, give it him back. So I was coming to the end of, like, the Moss side, like, career, do you know, if you know what I mean, yeah? So one day this guy come to me and he went, I'm smoking crap with this fella. And he goes, do you want to come back to Markham, where I live? I robbed a jeweller's, right? I've got loads of jewellery. So I'm thinking, get over I'm, he's, This guy's chatting bollocks. So he's we're smoking crack. He's, he's supplying my crack addiction. So I'm going with him, yeah? So we go back to this guy and he's got the top room in this hotel. And he goes, right, come with me. And he takes me to this church square and he goes behind this bin and he comes out of a chest like that. And he opens this chest and he's full to the brim of gold. He wasn't lying. Right? He's full to the brim of gold coins, brooches, um, gold, uh, uh, these mad pins, you know, those tie pins you get? Yeah. And all them cufflinks and all that. Full to the brim. Literal treasure brim. chest. A treasure <laughs> chest. Yeah. Right? A treasure chest. A treasure chest. You're having the and same it, thoughts as when you saw the 50s. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah here's, what, here's what I did. Here's what I did. I'm looking at it all and there was a gold, I, I seen this little gold coin and I flicked out and copped it in my hand like that because he went, don't leave none of it here because if the police come, you know, we'll get caught with it. He got me proper para, right? But because he's got crack and we're smoking, right? So his crack runs out at about one o'clock in the morning and he breaks his crack pipe smashes it open because it's full of all this residue. And he says, by the morning, we'll be sweet. And he's in and out of this room. Next morning, I'm like buzzing, thinking, yeah, we're going to go and get this chest. So he goes to me, the chest is gone. The chest is gone. He's lying to me. Right? What he's done is he's cold light a day. He's thought, I'm not fucking having this mad black guy around me, a raging crackhead from my side. But I'd realised afterwards when I thought about it, so he's gone, come on, we'll get, we'll get on the train to Manchester. Some guy owes me money. He stepped me on the train like that as I've stepped on, just as the doors were closed, and he stepped back off like that. <laughs> but we're not paid. I've not paid, so I'm sneaked on a train, right? Next stop, people have come on, inspectors. So I'm in this weird town. I don't know where I am, and the inspectors have come on. And I'm wanted. I'm wanted. Um, and my name is Wanted Under the Police. So they go to me, what's your name? And I've had to give my mate's name who lived in Withenshaw and I barely knew his name and address, right? And the, the police who come tried to have me by going, there's a school right next to where you live, what's it called? And luckily for me, I knew the name of this school. So I went, it's blah, blah school. So they went, right, yeah, we'll, we'll have it. That's your name, right? So I'm stuck in this little town and I've got this coin, I remembered about this coin. So I walked to this jewellers, found this town centre, I walked to the jewellers and went, do you want to buy this coin? And he went, you need ID. 
So I've gone outside, I've seen this guy and this girl walking past. I went, guys, do you want to earn a quick 20 quid? Can you pawn this for me? I'm stuck from Manchester. I've got this client. I ended up getting home with me. <laughs> used to get pawned, give me 70 quid, give them 20, kept 50 and got my way home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my God. I've never seen that guy again as well. I would have pulled him out after that, he, you know, because he stashed the jewellery, obviously. But now I think back, I think, why didn't I just take all the jewellery and just go? You know what I mean? Yeah, my God. Oh, yeah. Why do you think he showed it in the first place? He was just showing off? I think he was showing off, yeah, mm. definitely. He was cracked yeah. up when he was in one of them moods where he's like, yeah, look at what I've got. And then when his cracks run out and he scrapes his pipe, he's realised, look, there's no money here, you know what I mean? This guy's going to wake up in the morning, meaning me, and he's going to want money, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I tried to stay awake, but I couldn't have had a little nap of woke up, and he's, and it's all gone. And I'm like, fuck it off. <laughs> he had my eyes out. But yeah, then I'm sitting in a crack house one day, I've gone to this crack house where I normally smoke crack and there's a guy sleeping there with like four bags around him. And I picked up one of the bags and went and I searched the bag and it was full of signing on cards. You know, you signing on cards you used to get years ago. He had about 30 of them, so he must have been travelling the country ripping people off, you know, signing on cards. I went back to try and give it him back and he'd gone. Like when I realised, I got the bag and just threw it somewhere and then when I searched for it, I thought, oh, I'd better wrecked his life. I must have ruined oh. his life, wasn't I? Because he was signing on everywhere. He must have been travelling the country with all these signing on cards. And what, I've got them all. from like day to day, signing on somewhere Yeah, else. signing on somewhere else, yeah. He had a pile of them. It was just full of them. I was like, oh my God, what fraud is this guy on? Do you know what I mean? But there's some ingenious ways to make money, you know. I, like I had these fellas who would come to me and there was photocopying um, receipts. Like, so I'm going in, like B&Q in these big stores and picking up like a bath of £300, wheeling it to the counter with a receipt, and they was giving him cash back money. And he was going round all these like, hardware stores doing that, and he was just making a fortune, do you know what I mean? Um, I'll even talk about... Um, Finish up in Mossad. Yeah, I am. I'm going to talk about Mr Noonan, who was coming to Mossad to buy crack before he tragically was stabbed. Um he used to come with a driver. He used to come to my mate's house, little Foxy. And the guy was a good guy. He he he'd um he'd never touched the white himself. He had a driver all the time, so he'd come in the car. So this particular day, a few days before he, he got stabbed, he'd come to Foxy's house and he's gone to someone, get someone to go and score for me. So he'd give someone 20 quid to go to the phone. So they've gone to the phone and bought their own crack, buzzing. So he's bought 15 white off this guy. So he's op- got them all opened, opened, got his driver to open them all. And all the pieces, he's pushed to one side for himself and all the bits and crumbs he left to us in the house. Like more or less give us half the parcel, you know what I mean? I'm sat there smoking crack and then went about his merry way. He told us that the police had took loads of money off him an hour before. And... Um, he was like, really, you know, he got on the crack and everyone feared him. It was Because when you touch the crack, you're automatically, you're this crazy person who nobody can trust, nobody can put any money into, nobody can give any time to, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, little did we know we was being filmed in a drug operation. So I get arrested for this alleged mad crime, what wasn't even real. Like, I'd, been, I'd seen this guy coming home from, from a nightclub in Moss Side. 
and I've got this strap and I've shown it him just out of interest. I wasn't pulling it out on him or anything like that. Oh, she did. Yeah, we was just talking. We were just talking and then he, and he ended up getting high off the cracking and said to me, do you want to come, come back to mine? And um, <coughs> see if my mates, see if anyone in the room has left anything out for us. So we've gone in the room and we're talking in this room and he's going like that with his head. And I'm looking and I've looked over and there was a CD player on the side and he's telling me to take his mate's CD player. All right? So I've took it. We've gone. So he's, this guy's got no money. So we've gone to the petrol station and I've seen this car come in the petrol station and I've gone and done what I had to do. And he stood there back off waiting for me. But it was cameraed up. So I've come out of the car, I've got 80 quid. So I've gone, I've got money, come on, let's go, we'll go and smoke some more. Two days later, I got arrested for robbery and firearm and false imprisonment and aggravated burglary. This guy in a cold light of day had reported that I'd gone and I'd stole all this stuff off him. It wasn't true. You know what I mean? He got the, the charges was dropped straight away after a while. I'm in for that. I'm watching Granada reports and it says... Big drug bust in Moss Side, headline news, all these doors going in. I'm like, that's to me, Padme, I know all these houses. Next day, I get a production order to the police station. I've been caught on it as well. I'm charged. With, I'm got nicked for concern to supply Class A and um, two supply charges. So I fought back to what happened, and what had happened was two police girls had come out of a black cab and said to me, can you get us crap? So I think they gave me 40 quid and I bought two white. I broke them in half and kept one for myself. And I'd give them the one for the 40 pound, the, the 20 pound for the 40, but split in half. There was two police women. They was doing a drug purchase, you know, like one of those control purchases. So we all we all get nicked. I, I, they, all, they all come in in custody. A few of them have got crack on them. So they say to me, Marv, get us loads of food and all that and we'll pay you back in crack so I'm like that on this wing to all the lads I went round with a black bag a kid you know I went round <laughs> with a black bag to all these kids who wanted a pipe and got loads of food off everyone and then we was going to court for our appearance because we always all meet up in these things together I've dragged this big black bag full of food in and the guy went to me right I'll sort the, the crack out for you in a minute when I get to court it's up my bum and whatnot, right so I'm thinking, shit, I went, you can't let me down because once I give you this food, now I can't get it back because you're going to be going at a different time on court and stuff. So anyway, we get to court. And <laughs> who did I get cuffed next to? The guy who just smashed my head and put the dog onto me. I get cuffed to him in court, going to court. Oh. He's in another court. I'm in one. I went, I went, do you remember me? And he's gone, it was that? And I went, it's Marvy, you put the dog on him and fucking... Smash the fuck over there, you know. Oh, man, man, you know. But you're lucky, though, that you fucking never ran off that day, you know. And it's what he was saying to me. I'm like, fucking cuff next to him. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Like, he's in the cell there. They've opened that door and have opened this door and put me next to him like that. <laughs> so he's gone up for his court case and I've gone and I'm panicking, thinking, where's this crack off this guy? If I don't get this parcel, there's about 20 lads on the wing there are going to go sick, you know what I mean? Because I've took about £100 worth of food off them all. So at the last minute, he's in a cell over there and I'm going, bro, give us that thing, come on, don't let me down. 
And he's gone, one minute. And he's gone, it's here for you now. And as I'm going, I've just grabbed it at the last minute, the parcel. Oh. Got it at the last minute. So lucky. Or he, one of them threw it in or something. But I got the parcel for the lads. And I've gone on the wing like a king like this. <laughs> I've got it. Come <laughs> on. Yeah, because uh, even though there's a lot of parcels coming over <laughs> in prison, there's not a lot of people smoke crack, so not a lot of people have put crack on the parcels, you know what I mean? But if you ask for it, like, I was rolling line with a few lads who was very deep into criminality, you could get good parcels, and I'd ask him to put crack on the parcel for me, you know what I mean? Like, they'd phone the boy and I'd say, come on, mate, ask him to put a little bit of crack on for me. Like, Don't be tight, you know what I mean? I did it once and he's like that to me, let me watch you smoke it then, I'll, I'll, you can have it. So I went, all right then. And I'm sat in a cell and I'm like, smoking this pipe. And he's like, watching me like that, like staring at me. He's like, what's it doing to you? Yeah. I'm like, she's fucking widening up. What do you think? He's fucking go game. What do you think? You know what I mean? He's watching me like, what's it doing to you? I'm like, fucking wide out my head. What do you think? And there was this lad on the wing who used to take everyone's pictures to draw them. And he was called Beckham because he looked like David Beckham and he had a United shirt, right? And I had my picture of my son and I went, nah, he's not a good drawing. I don't trust anyone who wants your pictures. So it turned out that this lad had drilled holes in his toilet in his house, on his housing estate and he had all the kids coming in using his bathroom and he was filming all the kids going to the toilets. And that's what he was in for. And he was on our wing having it with us. And we're calling him Bex. And he's drawing everyone's pictures. He's take, He's going in your cell going, oh, I can draw that really well. I do that. And it was a shit for... He was just... I don't know what he was doing, but God knows what. That, I read it in the newspaper when he got out. When I got out, I read the, the article about him in the newspaper. And it was like, oh, my God, I knew he was dodgy. Do you know what I mean? There's some little Italian guy with a micro penis, right? <laughs> I got in the shower, like there's a communal shower, there's no doors. I get in and there's this guy with a tash, he looks like Mario, and he's got a <laughs> micro penis, right? And I'd never seen one before. This guy had one. <laughs> yeah, it was the tiniest. It was like that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, and he, that was his, like, his, his bit, what you pull back, was there. <laughs> Right? It was just this big. Yeah. Shit. It was that big. You can pleasure a mouse. Yeah, I can believe it. Right? Yeah. And, and he was in for, I think he was in for murdering a prostitute in Bolton. But I really realised why. He must have been called off his witch. Yeah. He must have had this thing about his witch, didn't it? So, and you know what happened to him? Do you know what happened to him? Go on. Did you not? Yeah. One Saturday afternoon, he just starts shouting, help, help, help me. So we're all going, what's up with you, Mario? We used to call him Super Mario or something, yeah, with the micro penis, yeah. We're like, what's up, Mario? And he's like, help, help, help. And then we all start banging. He died that night. What happened? Just an heart attack, massive heart attack he died of. But he was banging for help. And the screws have come, didn't open his door for 45 minutes. He was dead. He died oh. in his cell. Like of some heart attack or something he did. Something happened to him, but he died that night. Yeah, and we, he was on the wing a couple of weeks with a micro. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. 
Yeah. What a way to be remembered, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he killed a prostitute in Bolton, so really, you know, you can't have sympathy for him. Yeah, they come in. Yeah. Yeah, they come in, yeah. It's like that karmic circle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so we all got to go through that, yeah. So I believe that's me now, is that I'm going through that karmic circle, you know what I mean? Because the things you do in life always come back around and they know, they find a way of getting you, don't they? Coming back. Yeah. Just like the man with the dog getting chained to you. Yeah. <laughs> My God, Did yeah. you bump into him again after that? Which one? Sorry. man with the dog. Which dog? The one that attacked you. Attacked you. Oh, the, the gang leader. Yeah. You got chained oh, right, sorry, to. you're yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about the leader of the gang. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I didn't see him after he got cuffed to me because he got life with 30 years or oh, something dude. like that. Yeah, he got nicked for conspiracy to murder on a, a murder because he... He took, uh, he, he allegedly took to murder two kids to go and shoot someone in Salford. And the guys got killed in the pub in Salford. He went to shoot someone and got killed. And he, he apparently was the one who drove off. So, and his phone call was, was conspiring with another Salford person to. So, uh, he got life with a wreck of 35 in the end, that fella, yeah. But, yeah. But his son's still out and about there, and he's I class him as a friend of mine now. Even though, even the lad who shot me as well, I see him in prison, and like really, he's a lot smaller than me. I could smash him up if I wanted, but if I'm going to smash him up and then I'm going to have his whole gang on me, there's no way I was going to do it. I just no took it. You know what I mean? I just laughed and joked to him about it, like you madman. You know what I mean? But he shot nine people with that gun. Like, there was a guy who he double-tapped it from Wivenshaw, he put two in the chest, or three in the chest. The guy lived then, but he, you know what I mean? He, he told me himself he'd done nine, nine, nine attempt murders on that gun. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Nine mad ones with it. Serious. I'll never forget what he told me. No. Yeah. yeah, so uh, I was around dangerous people and I was in dangerous situations all the time. But I always kind of tried to keep my morals. I never did anything too rotten, you know what I mean? I know it's a bar like from someone stealing out your car, but it's better than like doing the handbag snatch or doing something personal, mm. violence, you know what I mean? I try to, because I've got no violence, anything like that on my record, anything to do with women, violence, children, anything like that. So I tried to keep them morals when that girl said to me, don't rob off them and don't beat them. I tried to keep that as like Stuck my, in your head. Stuck in my head, yeah, definitely. Tried to keep that going. So what other crazy shit did you see in prison? Oh, and I've seen all sorts. I've, I've seen a guy get his head squashed in a door, which was a terrible situation. Over what? A £10 canteen. He'd owed a tenner canteen, it was canteen day. And the guy's gone in the guy's cell to sell him that he hadn't got his money, he hadn't got his canteen. Like he'd bought it and he didn't have it. And he, the guy banged him and slammed the door on his head. Not deliberately though. I don't think it was deliberate, though. I, to this day, I wasn't in the cell, so I'm not for sure. Mm. But we was on the landing and it got locked down and this big scene had happened. The guy was just, his head had crushed in the door, killed him. You know what I mean? He slammed his head off the door. Um, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of bad things, but I've done a lot of bad things as well, but not, not, not life-changing. Never done anything life changing to somebody, you know. I can I can say that I've hurt a few people. A few people have got a few scars by me, but then again, I've got a few scars off them. Do you know what I mean? I mean, my mate ran at me with a hammer, a claw hammer one day, and he's trying to 
smack my face off with it. Yeah, and he catches me on me. I've still got a big domestic claw on my scar there. I ended up taking the hammer off and beating him up with it. Mm-hmm. And the police come and I get arrested for possession of offensive weapon and threats of provocation or violence because I'm saying to him, I'll fucking smack your head in you. But the police have only seen after scene, do you know what I mean? you only seen after situation, so they, they, they ended up nicking me for it. This was your mate? Me. It was my mate, yeah. Why was my he, mate, Barry. Why was he pissed off? Something had happened. I think uh, I think he was arguing with me over the girl or something like that. Over one of the, I don't know what had happened. Just the arguing. Yeah. Talk about girls. Let's talk about who you met. Kira. Kira's special, aren't you, Missy? <laughs> <laughs> She's a special one. So I'm... Um, I've just come back out of prison and while I was in custody, some woman, a worker, fell for me. She fell in love with me, right? So I'm going to this um, this little course in prison. Not a course, but like a meeting place. So these people who can all join up and go off different wings. So I'm talking to this woman about my adoption file because I want to find my birth family, yeah? Because once my mum died, once my mum died, I thought, right, I'm going to find my birth family now. So I spoke to her about it, and she said, all right, I can set it all up for you and get you the appointment coming and everything. Everything's brilliant. So I said, all right, that's cool. She said, come back and see me next week. So I went back the next week to see her and sat there talking, and she giving her all this information. And then she, the week after, she says, right, I've got someone to come and see you from the Salvation Army and stuff like that. So the Salvation Army come and they say, right, we can officially open, like we can open your file, yeah? But when, you've, when you're searching for your birth parents or your birth family, you've got to officially open your file. Right? And he said to me, look, because you're like on drugs and stuff, like we can talk to you about it, we can discuss it with you, but you're an active drug addict you know you can't really they're not it's not going to work type thing but when you get clean that's when we can do these steps you know what I mean so I was beating myself up thinking I'm a crack addict and I'm not going to see my family because of my addiction yeah but this woman uh, I get moved to another prison and she starts sending me money which she shouldn't have been doing it's like why should I have her personal money right and then she comes and visits me and she says to me, oh, I can get, a, I can be a part of condition of your license because I've got, you know, those three words after the name and you get those three letters. So you get like, a, like doctors get those three little letters after the name. Do you know what I mean, yeah. don't you? So she had those, but loads of them. So she worked in mental health, she worked in psychiatry and all that lot. You know what I mean, don't you, though? Yeah. Three a PhD letters. or something? Yeah, yeah, like a PhD yeah. after it. Yeah, yeah, so she had PhD and she had loads of them. Yeah, she had about five or six of these different ones, all right? Degree. Like on an official files, yeah? So she said to me, when you get out, we'll try and do something together so you're a condition on my licence. So my probation officer agreed with it, yeah? Because she was working with me adoption file. So the day I get out of prison, she goes to me, let's go... Do you want a new coat? Do you want new training? Do you want new this, new that, new this? So she rigged me out in all these. She bought me a pair of gloves, which was a thought was strange. She'd buy me a gloves and a ballet and a grafter, right? But straight away, 
I'm smoking crack again. She bought you a balaclava. Yeah, balaclava and gloves and a coat. And I thought it was a bit weird. Do you know what I mean? That's she'd buy a me a bally and coat and gloves. Yeah. But it is what it is. <laughs> so she bought me this rig out, right? She bought me this rig out and then she says to me, right, um, can you decorate? So I said, well, I don't know about that. Like, I've not really, I'm not really a decorator. But I'll try. So she said, what it is, I need my house decorating. Do you want to start working for me? Like, proper left field from nowhere. I was like, all right then. No, I know what she wants. You know what I mean? Like, she wants a bit of this, whatever she wants a bit of, yeah? I could tell. This is where it come to me. I thought, right, weird. So she said, what I'll do is come to mine so we get the bus to her house. And she lives right at Manchester City, United Stadium, shadows her house. So we go to her house and she says to me, right, what I want doing is I want decorating, I want stripping the walls and stuff. So I say, sweet, I'll come and start stripping the walls. She said, I'll give you £100 a day. So um, I'm stripping the walls. She's giving me a one Another day, she's giving me another one But as I'm hot and taking the top off and stuff, I can see her on the settee and she's like staring. Then this day she goes, what's that you're smoking? So I was smoking crack in the toilet and I'm coming down smoking weed to come down. And she's coming, what's that you're doing? And I said, it's just weed. So she said, let me have some with you. She sat next to me smoking weed and she's getting closer to me on the settee and I'm thinking, nah, mate, this ain't happening. It's not my style. I'm not like a pro. I'm not going to prostitute myself out to this girl. I don't mm. care, you know what I mean, this woman. And I was like, nah, you know what? I'm going, I said, I'm going. And I just got off, right? So I've gone back to... Um, I've gone back to... Uh, the house where I was staying, didn't I? Did you Your know him at this point, Kira? My nieces. No, yeah. we're just about to get to know so him now. here's what happened now. So I've got some money off her. And it's New Year's Eve now. I've been to you to my mate's house and I'm nipping into town. And I see her with this guy. And this guy who she's with, his sister's a prostitute. Every girl I've ever seen him with, he puts them on the game, forces them, gets them on crack. Not forces them, but gets them smoking, gets them on the game. He's got his sister on the beat. That's enough for me. Any man who will let his sister sell herself... And he's just walking past her and letting her do it. Like, it was like, no way am I having this. So I went over, I was on my bike and was, I had the bally on what she bought me, funny <laughs> enough. Yeah. So I had the full face bally on she bought me. And I pulled up and I went, what are you doing with her? Are you better? I went, you better leave her alone. If you put her near that beat, if I see her on that beat, I'm going to beat you all over. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I swear I'm just taking, I'm just having a drink. So I've like moved on and he's gone in the, the spa and there was this girl there who knows me and this girl's going to her. So I've gone, who are you, didn't I, to you? And she's gone, hey, who are you with a proper attitude? <laughs> Go away. <laughs> so I've gone, now, nah, what are you doing with him? I said, he's going to get you on the beat him and force you on drugs and everything is a monster. You know what I mean? Like he's an animal. And, I already know. and this girl was saying to her about me, like he's not going to, don't want nothing off you because like, I, you know, this I'm about... This prostitute used to look after me. Yeah? Yeah, she used to look after me. That's why I trusted her when she told me that Martin yeah, was so, a nice guy. Yeah, I, I was like, I'm not, don't want nothing off you. I just want to make sure that he doesn't get you on the beat. Here's my number. Ring me if you need me for anything, yeah? 
So she's gone up, sweet. So I've read off and it was about half an hour later and it's just something coming into me head and I thought, she might not even be able to phone me, even if she wanted to. So I rung her back and I said, you all right, you? And she's, give you my number she's crying on the phone and she's going, nah, he's just beat me up. So I went, what? Just beat you up, let me come down there and smack him all over. So I'm fuming. So I've pedaled down on my bike like that and she's outside the bar and the bouncers are there and he's in the bar somewhere and it just, it's one of them just leave him type things. So I've just got her more than anything, you know what I mean? So I've took her, I've took her back to my friend's house in Newman, we sat there talking. So um, she tells me, like, she'd been with him ages and whatnot and all that, and I say to her, like, take my number, I swear, if there's anything I can do for you to help you, like, get away from him, I will, do you know what I'm saying? And she's stuck in mind. So she's gone about her business that day, and I've gone about mine. And I phoned her, I said, you all right, do you need a credit or anything, a top-up and that, yeah, for a phone, so she... Got her to top up and whatnot. And then she phoned me and she was crying and she said, I've got to get away from him. He's, he's beating me up. So I went, what? He's fucking beating you up. Let me come and smack him up. But I knew that wasn't, that's futile, isn't it? Yeah. I'll tell you why in a few, I'll tell you why in a minute. It was futile. No point beating him up, beating him up because he just kept coming and coming and coming. So I phoned my niece and I said, babes, I've got this girl here. She's not a she's not a prostitute. She's not like a drug addict. She's just a girl who's stuck, yeah? Can she stay with me in my room? Like, just put her up for me. She's like, hey, you're, bringing, you're not bringing no scruffs in. I went, she's not. She's she's not like that. Do you know what I mean? She's only 18. So I thought, nah, I'm not having that. So these two was getting on really well. And um, I'm still smoking crack and doing this and that, yeah? So this woman wants to get with me that much. I've got to take my girl, my sis, my, my niece's boyfriend with me because she's on my case that much. Yeah? Yeah? Didn't I? Yeah, you did. She was on my case that much. I had to take my niece's boyfriend. I'm like, she's going to jump on me any minute. Like she's, And she had a son living in the house, a schoolboy. Did you like know in his her, bedroom. Me, no. She was she was around at this time, though, yeah. wasn't you? Yeah, I knew about her. Oh, she knew yeah. about her, all right, yeah, because I was going up, getting money for ripping it, stuff off the walls, and yeah. then coming back and sorting it out, and buying them all takeaways and stuff. Yeah, you know I'd what just I mean? stay at home with his niece and the baby. She'd just sit on the home with the niece and the babies while I'd go get do this stripping for her, but it'd come to her head, because she said to me one day, she's gone, um, upstairs, knees doing, um, do you want to come upstairs and sit? See what's doing, and I thought, here it is. Now here's what's. <laughs> so I'm looking at the ceiling. Next minute, she's got my face she's like that. <gasps> she went my face <laughs> off, right? But it was disgusting. It was like, uh, and I just like, I just stayed still. I was like, stayed <laughs> still. Yeah, I just stayed still. Rose again. Yeah, and she went. She jumped back and she went, oh, this was so unprofessional of me. I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done it. And I thought, yeah, you know what you're up to, right? But she was speaking to me and she'd said to me earlier on that she'd done it before to some guy. She went to me, do you know blah, blah? And this guy, 
was this bald-headed, vulnerable guy who I know, yeah? Like he was... <laughs> no, I mean... No, I know him. No, I know him. Him. no, no. Well, you just called him bald. Oh, right, yeah. No, no, I know him by his bald head. And I know, that's so you see, he's saying it again. What? Bald head. Hey, he's got a bald head. You have a bald head. Come on, mate. He's got a bald head. Well, that's how that's how I know this kid by, yeah? Let me rub it, Good luck. Right, so, you know, that's how I knew this guy. He had a bald head, right? Yeah. And he's a mixed race guy. And when I got locked back up... No, you've not told him how you got locked back up. Oh, right, OK. So, so yeah, so what happens She found it? out about me. Oh, and she got him recalled back to prison. Oh, Whoa. I was thinking that. Doesn't you know. yeah, so what happened was, So what happened was is... I'm going to her house and she throws her lips on me and I don't do anything. And she jumps back, that's so unprofessional of me. And storms off, but I know now. So every time she's going in the front room, she's slamming a door in her office, fuming at me because I've not responded. So I've took my mate up, my, my niece's boy, uh, boyfriend up to stop her jumping on me again, <laughs> yeah? But she's a condition of my licence, you know what she did? wrote a report saying, I can't work with him, he's not the person who I thought, he does this mad report and got me recall back to prison. Saying you were trying it on with her? No, saying that I've, I've not been working with her and I've not been doing what she oh. said and all this shit. She said, oh, he's been failing to appear and he's been failing to come and she just made this mad blag up. And Shut you away for nine months, didn't I? Yeah, got me oh. recalled to prison with this mad story, what she said, yeah, that I wasn't working with probation and I cut off swift services and all that. But she was lying. All it was is that I just swerved her. Do you know what I mean? And got with me. She got like with her it. and she didn't like it one bit. Hell had yeah. no fury like a woman's gone. Yeah, yeah, they do say that, don't they? Mm. Yeah, so I get locked up for nine months and I'm still addicted to crack, okay? She doesn't touch crack. I'm not going to bring crack near her. I'm not bringing it round her. When I'm smoking crack, she's not there. So she wouldn't see me for a couple of days on end. I'd be just gone, yeah. But what it was, was... Um, no, let's go back a bit. When that happened and I got locked back up, she's still hanging around my niece's house. And I'm saying to her, go and get a boyfriend and get with someone, like... And she's saying to me, this guy has been beating me up since I was a kid. She spilled the beans and said he was beating me up when I was 15. Yeah. He was 39. He told her he was 21. So I said to her on the phone in prison, listen to me. That man is a paedophile. He's a sexual offender. He is committing crimes against children, Kira. She said, I know he's got other kids in his house, school girls in his house. So I said, please, please, please work with the child protection team and get him locked up. You know what I mean? Because she had this team on her saying to her, look, we can get him, we can, if you make this statement against him, we'll get him, we'll get him locked up. Yeah. And she's scared of doing it because he's saying that it's, she's being a grass. If she tells the police that he was doing things to her when she was 15, that ain't no grass in my eyes. Doesn't count for paedophiles. It doesn't no. count. It doesn't count. I'm telling you now. So I was begging her to go to the police and work with them. Like literally want her. Mm -hmm. And eventually 
like she did and worked with the police and he got five and a half years for like some sick charges, you know what I mean? Good for you. Good for you. It's the kind of thing the police should be doing more of. Yeah. 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 But he didn't stop there. He carried on. He carried on. He got out of prison and he carried on stalking her. He the probation was, service failed to tell me that he'd been released on license. Yeah, they really. didn't even tell her. Yeah, they didn't even tell you you'd been released, did they? No. Surely they have a duty to do that. Yeah, yeah they meant to. They told yeah. me two weeks after, but I'd already seen him in that time. Yeah. Oh. And got another crack. So what had happened is she told me, he's still seen me in town, so I'm saying, is it? I'm looking for him everywhere. I'm in town because I know she won't go to town knowing that he's been released. Because I, I, what happened with her is that nine months that I was locked up, me and her was getting closer and closer together. And here's what I did. I said to Kira, I said, if you want a relationship with me, you've got to get back speaking to your family and your dad's got to give us the green light. I wanted her dad's permission to start dating her. And that's what I did. I was due out of custody and I said to her, can you in- introduce me to your parents and stuff? Because she's back speaking to her mum and dad and all that. So the day the day you took me up was a Christmas, wasn't it? Christmas day. Christmas day. And I my went, mum didn't know it was coming on the middle. And surprise. I went in and I <laughs> yeah. went, surprise. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. I just went, hello. What, jazz hands? No, I didn't do jazz hands. <laughs> I'm joking. Fuck you now. Fuck you now. He's a fucking big Irishman. He would have beat me up. He was like, <laughs> no, he gave me the... He said to me, look, if you want to date my daughter... Because they thought that she was still seeing this guy. So they was kicking off at her saying, like, you're back with him on the sly. And she's saying, no, I'm speaking to a guy. This is what I found out afterwards. So um, when when I get out, I go to a mum and dad's house and stuff. And I say, like, can I date her and whatnot? And, like, I don't beat up women and I'm not a bad person. But I didn't, obviously, I didn't tell him I was a drug addict because I was a crackhead, do you know what I'm saying? But I knew that I could uh, sort of separate the two. I could live life normal after the crack was gone, wouldn't I? Yeah. So I'd smoke crack, finish it, live a normal life, wake up the next morning and just want crack again. Like, I was just an addict. It was all that I was thinking of day in, day out, do you know what I mean? Even when I was with her, like it was just the first thing on my mind. All right, so we're just rounding out this part one with Marvin now because we've run out of time. So he's just going to summarise and conclude and tell you what's going to come in the next part. Yeah. So what had happened was is I'd met Kira. Um, I'm still an addict. I'm still a prolific offender. I'm still committing crimes everywhere. And she's got a guy on the case searching for her all over so she won't go in the city centre or anything like that. So I'm going... I got into uh, Ivishu, the Ivishu store one day, and got hundreds and hundreds of trainers, all one-footed, for example. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm just, just doing stupid crimes and committing burglaries around commercial burglaries and whatnot and then she's on my case to stop taking drugs she starts 
seeing my addictions getting a bit out of hand and she's saying to me, stop it now. And I'm running away from her. And um, I'm ending up in crack houses and she's following me to them. She's finding out where they are. And she's going mad saying, listen, like, get out of here now and get home, basically. So I'm struggling, battling now with this normal existence. But this crack addiction just overpowers everything else. You know, and that's how it was continuing. It was just going like that. And I thought, I presumed I would keep doing that forever, you know, until the end. But she was working. She was coming to me with the adoption appointments and stuff. And she's telling him, look, he's trying and he's getting better. You know what I mean? And he's not doing as much maddies as I was, innit? Mm-hmm. So they started saying, look, um, we might be able to open his adoption file. But they kept saying, there's not always an happy ending at the end of the rainbow. I think you're doing that in part, so. Yeah, yeah. that's it, yeah. A cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Love so you. if you've been as, like, gripped to your seat as we have, I mean, if you... I often talk about people, you know, we want to come on a podcast, can they tell a story? I think Jamie Morgan Kane, our very first guest, has probably been the best ever storyteller. And I think Marvin has given him a run for his money today because we've, we've just sit here with our gobs down here and you haven't even got the full story yet. There is so much more to come. You would not believe what is to come because we were just sat last night listening to something when we just <laughs> couldn't believe it. So... Um, we're going to be doing a part two with Marvin and all the links will be in the description box if you want to go and support them. And Instagram, you, you guys are both on Instagram. Yeah. I'm on Instagram, um, Lee Marvin, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Kira. I'm on Instagram, yeah. look, look out also for Kira. She's going to be telling her story in her own voice and that one is going to be coming soon as well before um, part two with Marvin. So please support everything that they're doing. Cannot believe the things that they've gone through. We, we salute them to come out the other end and be so inspirational and to have these, not just these gripping stories, but to have lessons for people, lessons for society. We, we're all campaigning for the, the laws to be changed so that the predators go to prison for long sentences and stop throwing away kids for long sentences for drugs and things like that. It's, it, the justice system's upside down. So there's just so, mu so much value in what they're saying here for society as well as all these you know, insane stories, and it's, it's it's great to see you guys just doing so well now. Yeah. So, thank you, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. oh, so, Gadfly Press is hugely proud to announce the publication of Killing Escobar and Soldier Stories by Peter McAleese. If you've not seen our podcast we've done with Peter, check it out. And the book is now available worldwide on Amazon in all formats, and Peter was hired out of Scotland, mercenary by the Cali cartel, to assassinate Pablo Escobar, one of the most famous gangsters in the history of the world. The mission is all detailed in the book, as well as Peter's many soldier stories from various countries and continents of the world. So, mind-blowing, gripping, as seen on BBC TV, this is the book, the story that Killing Escobar is based on, Peter McAleese's testimony. 
The link will be in the description box below the video, available worldwide on Amazon. Cheers. Here at Boomer and Jen, we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing. We all know our planet is important. We only have this one. So it's vital that we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution, here at Boomer and Jen, we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry, but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon in 2018. It has now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textiles Standard Association. Check us out on organic cotton clothing dot co dot uk